Hello, and welcome to Humans of Magic, the show that gets up close and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. You are listening to my conversation with Alexander Hain. Alexander Hain is from Canada. He's the Pro Tour Avacyn Restored champion and is generally a high-level Magic player. Alexander has also, in recent years, been very public about his struggles with mental health and has actually written about this topic. I had really wanted to talk to him for a long time. We're talking about high-level magic, the mindset, what it was like to win a Pro Tour. Actually, not all the great stuff that came out of that in terms of the after effects. There are some really instructive life lessons in this, and Alex is definitely not shy about sharing them with us. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Hey, yes, I'm talking to you. Yep, that's you right over there. Yes, it's me, James. If you're hearing this, it's because you're listening to the audio version of Humans of Magic. And I appreciate that. I really do. But I want you to know that I have recently launched my YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is where the video version of the podcast goes live. And I think it's a lot of fun because you get to see the guest's expressions, you get to listen to the podcast while at work with your YouTube on, you can have it playing in the background, and I also do a bunch of other fun stuff as well, like vlogs, little clips. I do understand that some of these episodes are really long, so it's fun to do all that stuff on YouTube. All you have to do is subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please also subscribe to Humans and Magic on Instagram. It's Humans and Magic on Instagram because I will also post clips there. I'll post reels. I'll post little tidbits of Humans and Magic that you will enjoy on your way to doing something else. So yeah, that's that's the plug. Please subscribe to Humans and Magic on YouTube and Instagram. It's a lot of fun. I promise you will not regret it. And if you're interested in supporting Humans and Magic further, there is always the Patreon option. I'm on patreon.com slash humansofmagic. You can join the exclusive Humans of Magic Discord community. And most importantly, you can just join and give me feedback. You can tell me how I can make the show better, make future guest suggestions, all of that fun stuff. Humans of Magic is a labor of love. I do this part-time. It's not my main source of income. And so anything you can do to support the cause is greatly appreciated. This will help me keep the weekly episodes going and weekly clips going on YouTube and audio and all of that great stuff that you've come to expect from Humans of Magic. All right, plug is over. Please enjoy this episode. Today on Humans of Magic, I'm here with Canadian legend, Alexander Hain, a.k.a. Alex Hain, a.k.a. Insane Hain. What are your other nicknames? Do you have any, any, any new monikers you've created for yourself? I created for myself? Not, not, not really, though. I mean, sometimes, I guess in the community, I've been known as Hain, or uh, I know at some point, I think some people ca- started calling fans of mine Haniacs or something. Or <laughs> Wow, that is, yeah, I, I guess it's kind of like you can't really give yourself a nickname. 
like other people have to give you a nickname otherwise it's exactly. not real right like you can't yeah. just you can't just claim like i'm gonna be paniac right now yeah how are you doing man how are, how are you doing alex um all right all right uh you know the whole pandemic and stuff thing's been hard on everybody um and then also you know have the additional challenges kind of figuring out what my next step is after the pro magic thing is kind of you know i don't know collapsed or if it's over whatever whatever you want to say uh yeah. and i have my own uh you know mental health struggle and stuff but mostly pretty good you know not uh not perfect but i guess you can never be be perfect you know when when people on on the street ask you how you are you always just say oh i'm i'm good thanks how are you but you know i think we try to go a little deeper than in this podcast so i didn't give you my automatic response i'm i'm just laughing because i realized i committed the cardinal sin like i had a episode with jerry thompson recently and i said how are you and he said bad and then we ended up talking about that for like half an hour and i should have just used his advice today which is like i shouldn't have said alex how are you i should have said alex it's good to see you and and just oh, just, just don't yeah. leave the door open to have a question because I asked him, I asked Jerry, like, how are you doing? He said, honestly, I'm doing really bad. <laughs> and we just talked <laughs> about that for th for half an hour. But um, Alex, it's good to see you, man. I mean, I, I really mean it. I, think I have seen your magic boomerism in full display over the years. And basically <laughs> saying how you're, you know, just, just passing judgment on, on players, you know, left and right. And I love that stuff. So um, it's not a dig. <laughs> I'm just... I just really like the way you communicate you yourself and magic or just yourself. Like it's just not apologetic because I think a lot of, I want to say a lot of people these days, like they just, they're just kind of like always tippy toeing and just like, Oh, am I going to, am I going to upset this person if I say this or if I, and I feel like some of the, honestly speaking, I feel like the, the PT magic players or like the old school magic players or whatever you want to call your, your group or Maybe maybe you don't think of yourselves as a group, but it's just like you just don't give a fuck. Like just just say it how it is, right? It's like I I see you and Sproly and people just 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 on Twitter, just like just calling it how it is, you know. But yeah, it's interesting. I'm so well. First of all, I somewhat appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to digest in there, you know. For instance, I, I don't know if I would consider myself an old school magic player, or and certainly until the until recently when the magic divide of boomer versus zoomer happened, I, you know, I certainly wouldn't have called myself a boomer, right? In, in terms of the actual generations, my, my parents are, you know, young end of, of baby boomers, right? I'm a proud millennial, you know, fighting against all those articles that they claim that it's, that it's my generation's fault that restaurants that are crap are closing and so on. But, uh, the, yeah, the, the latest thing is like, you know, if you're before the arena period, kind of that you're a boomer now, right? Because when I came in, Magic and Pro Magic scene was very established already. So I kind of was, you know, felt like a newcomer for a while. But I got, at this point, you know, I've, I, I basically had a pro career for like 10 years. So mm -hmm. I am part of the old guard now, which is, you never, you never kind of view yourself that way. You know, you have to have to have to see it from the outside. So. I think that's a fair, I think it's a fair comment. Like nobody in magic is really a literal boomer, I guess. Be, I guess it's just all relative because now you have these 11 year olds playing magic and, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and whatever, whatever it is, right. I'm sure there are folks in Canada who are like, you know, like crushing it on magic online and they're like nine years old or whatever. 
the age gets lower every time I, I, I speak about it. And you're right. Like I, I, I understand you started your getting magic into magic seriously. I think it was in college, you said, right. Or is like university. Yeah. It was, so it's CEGEP, which is the thing that basically is between high school and university here in Quebec. I was 17 basically when I, when I was first getting into magic. Um, and it was, yeah, like a, a friend of mine at, at, at school who really, who really got me into it, bringing me to like a, a card shop before that. I'd, I'd seen the game, encountered a bit, but I hadn't really, you know, dived in. It was the point that my understanding of the rules was from various people had told me. One guy told me that you could skip it. on your turn. Instead of drawing a card, you could shuffle your deck instead, you know. <laughs> nice. A, All you right. know, they taught, they taught you how to cheat before before you knew what cheating was. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, well, that rule only made sense if you're like, you know, oh, you think you're, it's a classic, like, beginner thing of, oh, my... I drew three lands in a row. My deck's probably not shuffled enough. I'll shuffle it more. Like, right. You know, but obviously you, I quickly got into the, the real rules and start, you know, I, I playing F and M's and stuff. Yeah. Uh, what was, what turned out to be the most competitive store at the time in Montreal. Uh, and, and I played what the, what then was the magic scholarship series, which was basically the, the follow-up to the JSS, the junior super series. Mm. So, 18 or under, you could play in these events, and they give basically scholarship money and and boxes and, and invites to some other tournaments. Though I didn't actually end up going to any of the tournaments in the U.S. that they qualified me for. I just collected a bunch of scholarship money and, and booster boxes, and that was cool. But yeah, so I mean, when I when I really became a pro, I guess I started kind of trying to on on the pro tour. Like 2011 was my first pro tour, and yeah, at that point, there were people, right, who've been playing since the mid-90s or something, right? They'd already been on the Pro Tour for 10, 15 years. Uh, people who I would end up playing with on my team who were already Hall of Famers at the, at the point I started playing Magic. So my perception was definitely always, I was I always felt like kind of a newcomer for a while, you know, until actual newcomers, sort of the next generation of Magic player after me sort of come, came in. That's so interesting. So your first pro tour was 2011, you said. Yeah. So you essentially won a pro tour, which is Pro Tour Barcelona, like in your second year of playing pro tours. Like that was, yeah, was 2012, right? That was almost exactly a, 10 years ago. Yeah, it was. It it, it was yeah tw- May May, May 11th to May 13. I have this written down. Well, all right, <laughs> You're, you came prepared. Yes. But, uh, yeah, that was when I won pro tour. So. My yeah, my first pro tour was in uh, leave September uh, 2011. It was Philadelphia, the first ever modern pro tour. Uh, and then I since then I played every pro tour that there that there's been. I, I haven't missed one. Right. Uh, so I, I I qualified for that one from winning a PTQ, and then I shortly after I came second at GP Montreal in 2011, uh, which kind of that was like my springboard really. Uh, first of all, got me, who was at the time like a, a poor student, basically, have money to go and, and play in events. Uh, but also, I got an invite from that to the, the first Pro Tour the following year, which was in Honolulu. Uh, and then also, uh, ratings invite is like the last time ratings mattered. Mm-hmm. Go to the old worlds in San Francisco in 2011, mm-hmm. which is the last of the, the old style world championships. So. So basically, and then the following Pro Tour after that, 
I was quite, I managed to do well enough of those things to get like a pro club invite for one tournament. Uh, and that was Barcelona, which I ended up winning. Right. Kind of since, yeah, since then I've basically been on the train as they call it, like either, either the top status at the time of platinum or gold, or then later as they change it to MPL and rivals. Right. What about right now? I mean, I'm going to go, I'm definitely going to go back to, I will go back to those uh, a decade ago, but what about now? Yeah. Are you, are you grinding the RCQs? Do you have like just an invite because of your previous status? Yeah, like, what's so the deal they, with that? Well, so uh, yeah, there's multi-part question, I guess. First, first thing that, yeah, they, from my understanding it, and for multiple people have confirmed this, but I haven't actually looked into it myself that I have invites for a year worth of uh, the regional events or whatever, which in Canada, there's two of them, one in one in the West Coast, sort of, and one in the East. Uh, the first the first wave, I believe, is Toronto and, uh, and Calgary. And then the next one is Montreal and Vancouver, I think. And so I think, yeah, I believe I'm qualified for all of those. So I don't have to play the like more local events to, to qualify for them. Uh, and I think I'm I I'm planning to go and attend those, but mostly I'm pretty detached from for Magic now. Uh, I've I've been moving away from it for for a little while, even before they kind of shut things down. Partly because I expected them to shut things down, but also just for my own mental health and the fact that you know it, it, it's a long time to to play professional Magic for for ten years and. It just wasn't bringing me the same level of enjoyment as as it used to. You know, the game's changed, but also I've changed, and uh, I I tend to get bored of of things after fairly quickly. That's one of my weaknesses. So, uh, Magic is you know quite a unique game with all sorts of facets, but it's still given enough time, still kind of got a bit boring for me, at least parts of it. That's really interesting. So what, what are you really into now that that's non-magic? Like I saw you tweeted about playing Go and your opponent calling you a luck sack. Like what, <laughs> what, um, is that, is that what you're into right now? Like just, just well, Go specifically, but, uh, I mean, Go is a game that I, I played before I played magic, but not never really competitively. It's just, uh, when I was in elementary school, okay, maybe I have to go back even further to make this. I Sure. I know you were a serious so, chess player, so we'll definitely yeah, talk about so that. So we'll, we'll, starting with that, I mean, that when I was about two years old, my dad taught me how to play chess. Um, Holy course, moly. At that yeah. point, you know, I was not very good. I had a major handicap. If, if, Is there, are there actual two-year-olds that are really good at chess, like maybe Bobby Fischer? Or... <laughs> well, I don't think he even started playing it that, that, that young, but I mean, it's all, of course, being good is relative, but I, I knew, I learned how to move the pieces and stuff. And, you know, I, by the time you know, I was I was five years old, I was playing in in tournaments, and like I was in in my elementary school, which basically was you know kindergarten, which I was five year olds all the way to like eleven year olds in grade six. I was as the best player, and I'd play in tournaments representing my school, playing against other people who were you know the other best eleven year olds from other schools. Um, and yeah, so I was I was pretty competitive with that, and involved in the chess club at my elementary school, and there there was also. Um, a, like a strategy board game club that I was part of. And one of the games there that they played was, was go. And I, so I played a little bit of that there, but there were no tournaments and stuff. And I always find that the best way to really, to really learn more about a game is just kind of being thrust into the fire, you know, of, of like a, a tournament and just losing horribly 
and and just seeing what you know these players who are much better than you do and learning from that right and i haven't really had that experience with go i've been so i was just playing a little bit on online you know i've been this board game arena website where they have all kinds of different board games um i've been playing a bunch just casually and go is one of them i just had like a half hour to play a game or something and so i just fired one off and my, my opponent was complaining in what I thought was a very amusing way, so I shared it on Twitter. But uh, I'm, I'm not really into Go. I, I'm kind of still trying to figure out what what the next thing for me in my life is after Magic. I've I've tried a few things, and none of them have really felt like they fit. Um, like in terms of money, I you know I I did fairly well in Magic. I to the point that one of the few people who really made a living despite not writing articles regularly and through some you know good and lucky investments and stuff i'm i'm comfortable for the for the next while uh, so i have a buffer to find something to do before you know i run out of money mm. but i still i'm not i'm not filthy rich or anything i'm i'm gonna have to find something else to do but mm. it's the, the the more important thing for me is is to find something that i enjoy doing that that is interesting for mm. me would you say that magic for you even like three or five years ago wasn't that interesting anymore but it was like there was at least a financial incentive to do it like whether it was rivals or mpl that you were as i understand you were contracted to stream as part of that and you did you know 10 hours a week or whatever it was so would you say that even back then like the fire wasn't the the highest level it's been but there, it still felt like there was a legitimate way to to make a living through magic, but you were just not, but still you weren't like super invested in it compared to maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, my, yeah, my investment in magic definitely waned. There's, I, I, when I was first into magic, I was super into it. I would play all the time, always be, you know, kind of Jerry T style. When I was at school, I'd have a notebook where I'd be scroll, scrolling ideas for decks. And, uh, yeah. pulling things out of my head and yeah. and reading every article I could, you know, and and all and all that stuff. Uh, even in my pro career, I wasn't really one of the people who was like a big workhorse. My main thing was, you know, I'm much more of a, a theorist than a, a practical person. In some ways, I would read articles, I would understand metagames and formats and decks. I wouldn't necessarily play that much. I'd more, I'd get more of watching other people play, for example. But I was still very involved. Uh, and and very much into it, you know, flying around, playing in events. It was it was good for me. Uh, I'd say the moment where it kind of shifted was following uh, the first time they offered a slot to the World Championship based off of who got the most uh, Grand Prix points, which was uh, the 2015 season. Uh, and so that season hadn't originally been planning to to go for for that way to get invite to worlds but in i had a you know i had a reasonable number of points and then i basically came uh came first place at gp krakow and then uh got a top 64 in toronto and then came second place in atlantic city in the in the, in the period of like three weeks uh and then suddenly i had a whole bunch of points and i was like second place in the race and i thought okay well this is this is worth doing and you know the it's 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 a different different level of grind when 
you're playing a GP every weekend, you know, like there's one point where I was in, in the, in the span of two weeks, right. I was in like four different continents, uh, you know, basically for three days at a time, just playing a tournament and leaving. And it's brutal. And kind of that being forced to play magic sort of when you don't want to is, is the easiest way to turn something that you love into, into the grind kind of since then, I still still liked it, but like the love was kind of gone. And and a, a couple a few years after that, like I'd say 2018, by at that point I was looking to do something else. And it's just hard to walk out when they're basically you're basically getting paid a whole bunch of money to do fairly little, right? Like as a platinum level magic pro, you have to basically attend four tournaments a year and they give you, you know, twenty thousand dollars. Uh, and of course, MPL and Rivals, it's even even more money than that. And it's it's hard to leave when you have that. And you're you're so much your, my social circle at time also was surrounded with magic. So it was just like an excuse to go and see friends. And I kind of started trying less and less and less. But I was still good enough that even my my low attempts would still get me, you know, gold or platinum status. Or, or MPL, like I made MPL without top eighting a single event that year. Uh, and, um, it, you know, it, it, it was, I was also not in the best place mentally and kind of walking away from that. Again, I, I, I don't have infinite money or anything. So it's, it's, the money was definitely a factor. And, and now with, with the money gone, it's not really worth it. And it's kind of a, a boon for me in some ways because I sort of wanted to walk away. And now, I don't have kind of that excuse to, to keep hanging on. Are you a person that looks back at what you did in your life? Do you, do you reflect on those kind of things or do you just tend to look forward? Yeah, I'm definitely a person who looks back. I, I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've been fairly public about this that I've, you know, suffered from depression a lot of my life. And they say that, you know, like anxiety is a, is a disease of you being too often in the future. And then depression is one of being too often in the past. Uh, and so it's definitely a big weakness of mine that I, you know, but when it came to magic, in some ways, it was a strength that I would look back and analyze every possible mistake I made, what I should have done. Of course, in real life, you can't go back and fix those mistakes. You're not going to be put in that scenario again. When you're playing magic, you know, you, you are often going to be end up in that, that same spot in the game. Mm-hmm. And kind of that perfectionism and over analyticalness, I don't know, that's not really a word, but uh, that the way of look, yeah, looking back and you know overemphasizing basically all the mistakes that I made is still something I, I struggle with, but I have have gone better with that, and it's definitely definitely something that I do. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I I think it's just everyone has a natural tendency or disposition, right? So I I think it's it's sort of like when we look at a. Uh, a leader or a CEO or something, and we're just like, wow, why do they have these flaws? Like, why can't they change that about themselves? They're like ruining this business, <laughs> or they're like psychopaths or whatever, or sociopaths. But that kind of got them to where they are, right? So I would say that uh, maybe not a great analogy, but your tendency to look back on things and maybe dwell or dwell too much on things is also attributed to. It also helped your you know, helped you become successful in your pursuits, right? Whether it was chess or, or magic or just things that require like a ton of willpower and just like looking back on stuff, right? 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think almost everybody who's succeeded at Pro Magic or probably other things to that level, you know, is, has some kind of unhealthy level of obsession, you know, of varying degrees. Uh, you know, it, it's, it kind of takes a little bit of that at least to, to yeah. get there. And of, of many things, you know, magic is kind of a funny one to, to pour yourself into, but that's the one that I did. And I, I, I do often think back, like, what if, I'd, what if I'd put the same amount of energy that I put into magic into something else, right? Let's say, you know, the classic thing of trying to build a business or move up the ranks of one, right? Or, or the, the cliched trying to cure cancer nonsense, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think I made uh, reference to that. I said, like, if magic players all uh, did non-magic things, we'd probably cure cancer or have world peace by now, just because the collective is just so smart. <laughs> uh, or just... Yeah, but th that's the thing. There's, there's different kinds of intelligence. I was reading a thing interesting that interested me recently that was saying that, you know, there's, there's, there's two types of problems, right? There's clearly defined problems where there's a, there, you can clearly find an answer to them, and there's, there's you know, more, less clearly defined problems where there's not necessarily a clear answer, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm very good at the first one. There's a, a, like a puzzle to be solved or, you know, I have to find the line in a game of magic, right? Or a game of chess. I, I, I'm good at finding that, right? Finding right. the optimal line. But like when it comes to life, it's way too broad. Like, you know, what should I be doing with my life? That's a question that there's not really a clear answer. There's no real obvious thing. You know, there's no, you can analyze them and you can't ever come to a, a real conclusion. Yeah, and philosophers have tried for <laughs> millennia, right? Uh, yeah. I would also think that cure cancer is part of the second category. Like, it's not like a deterministic thing where you can just put it right. into, uh, you know, like chess or like something where an AI could just like uh, brute force compute it and just just figure out the answer, right? So, uh, yeah, definitely a generalization. But the second question I had, just going back to it, is just regrets right do you are you someone in general that has regrets i know you look back but do you do you feel the regrets when you look back or is it just like looking back to figure out how i can do better or just looking back for the sake of looking back <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i think the the main thing was definitely looking back to see how i could do better but then that kind of goes a little bit hand in hand with me with the regrets because then i regret that i didn't do the thing that i figured out i could have done better uh and you know the way my mind works. The, obviously, the logical thing when I you know now I let's say I've gone through therapy and have better tools to to analyze how I'm thinking. I can see well that's not logical. You only know that the answer now. You didn't know the answer then. You did the best you could. You know, with you have one play that wins the game and one that loses, and you you did, took the one that lost and it, it cost you so much. You know, you can look back and why didn't I do that? There's so many where I look can look back and regret that I didn't play this deck or that deck that you know I made this play or and then other things in life you know uh various like relationships that I've been in or or you know other life choices I've made uh, you know it could, you can always always go back and what you know why didn't I when I had when I was a kid and had all these chess winnings why didn't I invest it all in Apple stock or what you know <laughs> At one point, with the Wizards payout system, you could get it all in Bitcoin. And when Steve Rubin won his what really, there was a there was a chance of getting Bitcoin, that out in Bitcoin. And he looked that if, if instead of the forty thousand, yeah, he would could have gotten you know four million. You could put your uh, grandkids through through college by now, right? 
Oh, exactly. Yeah, I just I you know, it have have an empire or something. They'd be the FBI would be digging through my stuff, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but it's easy to have regrets, but I've gone to the point where I'm mentally healthier that I I can be like look back and say, well, I'm I'm only looking back on these things because I made the decision then and all these mistakes, let's say, have have shaped who I am now, right? That I could have done something, let's say, you know, I I could be a multi-billionaire right now, but would I have learned the lessons? Like, would I have grown, let's say, the humility? Would I have made the friends that I that I have now? You know, maybe not. And those things do shape who I am. And this is this is the road that I'm on. I don't get to travel any of those other paths. You know, I'm not in a science fiction novel. Yeah. So I only get to work with where I am now. I mean, it's the <laughs> it's it's also, I guess, a useful for perspective in magic. You know, if for people who realize they made a mistake in the game they're playing and then they they start to tilt off and oh you know but instead you just got to focus up and and do what you can now and that's kind of that's where I'm I'm at or at least trying to be at you know it's it's a difference between knowing what what you should do and and actually doing it <laughs> are you able to share maybe some of the the tools that you learned in in therapy like you you touched on some of them but just yeah, like yeah well uh yeah, I mean, there's there's the kind of the basic things that you know called like mind traps, where you can basically you basically look and see, ask yourself questions like, why are you thinking this thing? Am I falling into any of these potential traps? Uh, you know, fortune telling being a classic one that I I would have. Let's say that I'm making assumptions about the future or what people think um, based off of what I think, but I don't actually know how they think or how the future is going to do because other people aren't the same as me. Other things, you know, you can be minimizing the positive. You know, the, like in times when I'm really depressed, you know, you can I, I feel like uh, I'm, you know, I'm a loser. Everybody hates me. I want to. I've wasted my life. But you know, there's a lot of things that I have accomplished. There's a lot of people who do care about me. Uh, and you know, what is what is what is wasting your life actually mean, right? And and so it's easy to put yourself in a mindset to look at things through the, you know, the rose-colored lenses that we all wear. We, none of us really look at the world fully rationally, right? Uh, and that was, I've, I've had a bunch of therapy and stuff, but that was like the perspective that, that worked the best with me because I, I struggle to make myself believe things that I don't think are true. And uh, so, you know, when you're feeling really down, you feel everything, you're, you're, you're awful, everything's awful, things are never gonna get better. And you just, oh, just believe that it's going to be, get better. And you don't, it's hard, hard to do that. But it's easier to have, look and examine all the things you're thinking and, and show that, sure, it might be right, but you have no actual evidence. And that there's, maybe there's a flaw in your thinking. You're not being as rational as you think you are. And to kind of create some room for doubt in, in, in the negativity, which can lead to positivity. Are there stuff in your sessions about just generally being less hard on yourself? I, I feel like you're touching oh, on yeah. that. And, and also just because when I had a few sessions myself, like that was my biggest takeaway, understanding of course that therapists have different techniques, but I sort of like realized going through these sessions and it was actually really cathartic. I think I actually, I think I actually cried after one of the sessions or during one of the sessions because I was just like, I think the therapist just told me just lean into not not in those wor these words right but just I, I felt like it was just leaning into 
not being hard on yourself and everything that's happened to you up to this point is you're a product of circumstance. Like we kind of went into like why I behave the way I do because of my parents or my upbringing and, and just not, not trying to blame anybody, but just like trying to understand that there are reasons to be for me to think this way or behave this way. And we're all like manipulated or a product of our environment and just don't be so hard on yourself. I think that was a big thing for me. Just, just, it felt like there was a big weight that was lifted from my shoulders when I initially went through that, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, 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 I went through something similar and I, I agree with what you're saying. Like the way I think my, my therapist sort of phrased is that all of us are kind of on our own paths, right? Where we, we don't all start at the same place. We don't all move at the same speed. We don't all have the same obstacles and stuff, right? So that we often judge ourselves based off of other people and where they're at. And, uh, you know, that's not a, a fair comparison and kind of where you're at, all, all the things that have happened to you have made you, you, and you, you know, you have to accept yourself, right? And, and, and kind of love yourself who comes first, right? Uh, just you are who you are and uh, there's nobody else like you, you know, as whatever as cliche as that is, but. Uh, yes it's it, it is true and mm-hmm. yeah the, the the path you've taken was partly prescribed for you right and, and just get to kind of decide now what path you're going to take and, but it's really hard because i feel like whether you see a therapist or you read something similar in a book or someone tells you and you feel like this is all good common sense but i think in the moment it's just really hard to get yourself out of that and i have to preface this to say so hard i i've not been diagnosed as clinically depressed like i don't think i was ever at that so i I don't want to trivialize my experience other people's experiences by kind of what i went through but i even 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 not being diagnosed i was sort of like i felt trapped sometimes just like it's just hard because like, yeah, of course it's, it's sort of like, you know, you read this article, it says you should play magic this way. Then why are people not playing it this way? Like the information's <laughs> out there. Clearly you should just do that. You should just not make mistakes. You should always like think two seconds before making a play, which I, I think you've said in the past, right? Just, yeah. <laughs> just spend an extra two seconds on it, but how come we don't do it? And we're like, fuck, I, I didn't, I, I misplayed like right after I played. So it, it's, it's easy to understand the theory, but it's so hard to apply it and even now i find myself like going back to some dark places once in a while just because y- you know what i mean right it's easier said yeah than yeah yeah i mean i've I've had a lot of therapy and and i definitely recommend a therapist over reading them in the book i mean that's part of they're there to kind of try and help you to actually get it going and step one of course is knowing right and then actually applying what you know is is the the future thing uh, and and I also have moments where yeah, it's, it's darker, you know, like people talk about beating depression and stuff. And like, I, I feel it's more just like holding it at bay. You know, you just, you have like, and like getting therapies, like having, you know, a, a, a flashlight or a torch or whatever. Right. And being able to shine light on the darkness. And so I, I view it like you have tools, you're better able to deal with, with, with what's there, you know, and you have to put it into action. And I think everybody would benefits from some therapy you know whether they've been diagnosed as clinically depressed or not you know uh, there's different kinds of therapy like what i mainly had that was was helpful for me was, was what called the cbi or cognitive behavioral therapy 
which basically ties in the links between thoughts and behaviors, uh, and kind of how it's like a feedback loop in some ways that you know you you act certain ways will make you think certain ways, and thinking certain ways makes you act certain ways. So if you can kind of hijack that loop and mm. you know, force it both positively or negatively, right? Yeah. And, and yeah, it's 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 really hard, and it, it's it's a lot of work. And compared to some other things, you know, like there, there's first of all, there's a, a fair amount of stigma about mental health versus, let's say, physical health. And also, in so many ways, right, the enemy you're facing is yourself. So it's like, it's a, uh, it's one of your 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 toughest fights because, you know, you're like your your depressed half, let's say, knows all the best all their weak points, right? And it was all the ways to like attack you, yeah. make you feel like crap. So you have to, you have to fight back just as, just as hard. And that's why, you know, having, have someone else on your side to push you a bit is, is useful. It's hard because you have that inner voice that everybody has and you think the inner voice is you, but sometimes the inner voice is not actually you. And it's actually leading you down this path of misguidedness, if that's a word or self-destruction. And it's sort of like, I've, I don't know if you heard this. It's like, sometimes if you think of your inner voice, pretend your inner voice is actually manifested as a person that's outside of you. Like you would just break it off with that person within two <laughs> minutes, right? Because it's just terrible. This person is toxic. And this person is telling you shit all the time that you don't want to hear. The person knows all your buttons. The person knows like what, how to push it. And the person just self-doubting, doubting you all the time. If this was a person, you would just be like, get the fuck out of my life right now. But you can't. And it's just always in your head, right? So yeah, well, you have I to mean, like work when, super hard to fight that. Yeah. Yeah. Like certainly when it when it comes to like self-talk things, like one of the things my therapist said is, you know, you these are these things you say to yourself. Would you stop and ask yourself, like, would you say these things to a little kid? You know, like let's, you know, like let's say, you know you're fat or whatever, you're not going to find like a, you know, seven-year-old kid and say those things to them, right? That's incredibly mean. Even, even if it's true, right? You're still not going to say it. So like, why are you saying that to yourself, right? Why are you not treating yourself with that level of compassion? Right. Right. I think that's what self-care or self-love or compassion really means is just like, don't treat yourself even worse than you would treat like <laughs> a random seven-year-old kid on the street, right? Uh, which is what we, we tend to do, I think. The reason I went and asked you about the regret and looking back is because I talked to your friend, KYT, Karyun Tom, also a Canadian legend, uh, although maybe oh, absolutely. In, a, on a different, in a different way, a uh, legend <clears throat> for the Canadian magic community. And he said he remembers having lunch with you right before you went to Barcelona for Avicen Restored. And I was really surprised to hear you tell me that that was only your second year of grinding the PT or at the PT level, because yeah. from his recollection, like you were, that was kind of like a sliding doors moment for you. Like you were telling him that, you know, maybe this is it. Like, if I don't do well in this tournament, I'm done, like finished, right. I'm out of magic. So maybe, maybe take me through, uh, what was in your mind space at that time in you know 2012 having lunch with him yeah well i guess a lot of it is to do with you know people get to see your journey as a pro and especially when you're watching you see the pros when they top eight right you don't really pay attention to the failures uh 
right? Like some people are like, oh, Seth Manfield never loses. He's always in the top eight. He says, well, you know, like I'm there at the tournaments. I, I, I get to see yeah, Seth Manfield's a great magic player. He's doing well, you know, but he loses plenty. You know, everybody loses plenty. There's a lot of time they're out. They, the public doesn't really experience that because they kind of zoom in on the top eight. The coverage, you know, overwhelmingly shows the people who are X and O in the tournament or whatever. But you as a person who plays Magic, a game of variance, most of the times you're, you personally experience entering a tournament, you're not going to win. You're going to leave having not gotten done as well as you, you'd hoped because, you know, the, the, the finishes that are really valuable in Magic are the ones that are outside of the statistical norm, right? whether it's winning a tournament or top eighting a tournament. Uh, you know, if you enter a PTQ as the best player there, it's still hard to really be expected to win, let alone, you know, like a, a, a pro tour event where you, you will top eight. Uh, I think, so, by the way, I think Jarvis, you mentioned this once. He said something to me like, you know, if you're not a pro tour level player, you're like 5% to win this or 3% to win. And if you're uh, a pro tour level player, congrats you just went from three percent to five percent or like it's still uh, a really really small chance right i don't know if you yeah, i mean i might i might disagree with that i think i think <laughs> like the, the 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 actual there's a big gap between like the actual top players and like you know the the next mm -hmm. level below that uh and sorry i got you sidetracked please yeah, yeah, yeah. but anyways uh so anyway so i spent a long time you know since i started playing magic competitively before I ended up being playing Magic professionally. Uh, so it, for me involved, like, I believe I played 14 PTQ top eights uh, where I didn't win a single one uh, until I think, or, or the 14th one, I believe I, I finally won. So, you know, that, and I think at the on average, I top eight, like maybe half the PTQs I played or something in, in, in that period of time, which was like five years or something, right? Because I, I was... I was 23 when I played my first pro tour and I was, you know, probably, yeah, I think 18 when I played my first PTQ. So in your mind, that felt like a drought, right? Because you were not able to convert a top eight into an actual win. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, a big thing. Cause at, at the PTQ level coming second place doesn't, you know, you get a box and a handshake, right? Yeah. That's it. Congrats. Uh, congr <laughs> th thanks for trying, you know, and obviously it's, you know, in terms of prizes and stuff, it's it's better than going O2 drop. But in terms of emotional feeling, it I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it feels worse because I've at least for me, I've always felt worse getting really close to the goal and then failing in the last moment. Well, nobody wants to be the silver medalist, right? Yeah. Yeah. Though, I mean, most people would take that. Then you know, if you can just suddenly hang a silver Olympic medal on your on your chest versus having nothing, they would take it. But the whole thing is that. To get there, you have to put in all this years of effort and grinding and work and talent, and you finally get up to the last moment, and it's you versus one other person to be the gold medalist, to be able to say you're the best in the world, and then you just miss by. And that it's moment. not it's not a great analogy because it's not deterministic. Like you and that person in the final, obviously there's a variance in that best of three or best of five, anyways, right? So yeah, yeah, so. So anyways, it took, took a while. And, you know, again, during all this time, I was battling with my mental health. I mean, really, I think my, my first major depressive episode was basically when I was 18. Uh, and at least that's when I was diagnosed. It might have, you know, started a bit before. Uh, but, and magic was kind of my escape for a while.
and I, I'm and in 2011 when I operated the when I came second in GP Montreal, which that one didn't hurt that that much because I was kind of new to it. So for that, that was like an amazing performance. But uh, I I felt like okay, I'm gonna give this this pro magic thing like one more shot because actually even the, the PTQ that I won also was like you know I'm gonna give this this is gonna be like my last PTQ that I play and then I I won and funnily enough that's kind of that's that's been fairly successful thing for me in my in my psychological last tournaments I've usually done pretty well mm. kind of like what now has become the Andre Strasky meme of I'm retiring now the Strasky method I think yes yeah the Strasky method method well I've I, I've I'd like to think that maybe I'd influenced him a little bit because there's <laughs> <after laughs> working together but yeah that I mean that that was effective for me so going into Barcelona like i I played a couple events and I, I basically needed like two pro points to, uh, to lock up gold uh, going forward, which make me qualify for everything. But, you know, if I, I've missed, then I have no qualifications at all. Uh, and I kind of, yeah, I, I decided I didn't, wasn't going to enter into like the PTQ circuit anymore. I wasn't going to play PTQs anymore. I kind of, you know, it was like I'd given myself this, this shot and I either was going to make it or I was not going to make it. And, walk away and find something else. So it was and, really the two points. Like it was very kind of black and white. You, yeah, you either, was, either you and, got on that train or you didn't and you walk away. Yeah. And, and part of it was, again, I was, you know, I was not doing particularly well with my mental health. Uh, there's a famous story that I've, I've talked about many times that, you know, uh, that most people, they fly to, to magic tournaments. So for Barcelona, my teammate, David Kaplan, and I, we took a cruise ship there because we didn't have wizards paid for plane tickets. We had to pay our own way. And during that time of the year, the cruise ships change from circling the Caribbean to going around the Mediterranean. And so there's very cheap cruises across the Atlantic. So we'd taken a boat, um, which was great. I mean, it's, it's a perfect environment to test for, for a tournament. Mm-hmm. It, you're, you're traveling, but also, you know, you have things for entertainment to, and, but also constant food and, and, and comfort. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I would I would spend a lot of time like outside in the balcony, just listening to music, looking at like the middle of the ocean and stuff. And yeah, I was you know I have some stuff that I that I wrote to myself you know at, at the time that <laughs> I, I was I was not happy. And though of course sometimes I've done my yeah my best work at, at, at moments like that, whether it's you know writing stuff or uh, or or magic related things, mm-hmm. but. Because it's that's when I came up with with feeling of dread as the missing piece for for that that deck and end up winning winning the pro tour. But yeah, I've always I've kind of always had doubts. I never really had that much confidence in myself, and you know, combined with depression and things. Uh, now I'm at the point, you know, I, I I now have kind of you know with the Dunning Kruger curve, I'm at the point where I am I do have confidence in in my ability of magic, even though now I'm kind of washed i'm a washed up boomer or whatever right is the <laughs> uh and but i at least i there was a point where i know like i'm pretty sure i was you know if not the best but like top three in the world for for a year or two you know um that's the thing about um depression from what i have heard from others is that like it always finds a way to beat you down like you could be top three in the world but there's still going to be something in the back of your mind that says you're not good enough or some something, right? I don't know if you felt that when you 
even when oh, you yeah. became the PT champ, you know? Yes. I mean, you know, like uh, winning the PT was, was kind of, first of all, surreal. I didn't really feel like it was real for a while. And at the time I wasn't like super happy about it. I was still like kind of so in the zone of just like playing my match and, you know, combined with not feeling necessarily so great. But it was really like seeing the other people around me, my friends so happy, like that's, that kind of lifted me mm -hmm. up more. You can, if you watch the the old coverage of, of 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 that pro tour, you can see like I won the pro tour and I'm just kind of like I'm sideboarding my cards and my teammates around and they're outside like shouting, singing Oh Canada or whatever, and then I I turn to look at them and then I break out in a big smile like that's finally when like you know I I feel something then, and yeah so you know the depression can can definitely steal those moments from you and even when you're at the top there's even when you know everything looks like it should feel, like it should be great right sometimes that's when you feel the worst because when when things are out, outwardly look bad there's it's easy to like say okay I, I can fix this right i can you know get better on my game i can do better at my job i can like you know meet someone and have a get into a relationship or whatever that will solve my problem right but you actually you go and you do all those things and then you still feel crappy because none of those things were your problem. Your problem was you, right? And your depression. And, but now you don't have all those things as an excuse anymore. And you, you, you feel even worse because you know, all those things you thought were going to help didn't help. I have to assume you never really played or did magic for any sort of recognition. It was always more like a, a career slash intellectual challenge, but did it, did becoming the PT champ also change? Like it must've changed how people perceived you. And did that, was that a good thing or did it fuck you up in some, some weird way? Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. For me, I really got into magic. Yeah. Not for the, not for the prestige or recognition as much as for, yeah, for the, the intellectual pursuit and not really for the money. Nobody gets into it for the money. Like I kind of, stayed in it because I was, I, I could basically get effectively free money. I didn't really have to do much work and, and kind of, I could, you know, deal with my depression most of the time and, and still have this thing that I could do, but there becoming a PT champ was, yeah, it was, it was definitely a change. Uh, I still wasn't really respected by the pros, by my peers. And that was something actually that I did want. I, I kind of, I did want can you can you be more specific on that? Why why was there not a level of respect that you thought? Well, should have been? I think a lot of it is in the in the in the pro community is very different than I think the like let's say the fan community, right? Uh, the fan community sees someone who wins a tournament or top eights a tournament or something says, "Wow, that that player is good. They're great." Um, the pro community doesn't care as much necessarily about your results. You know, if you accumulate a bunch of results then you, they think, okay, this person's probably good, right? Because there's now a bunch of evidence. But one event is not is not enough evidence for people to think Oh, that. it's kind of like the Hall of Fame argument in a nutshell. It's like, what's your body yeah. of work? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, your body of work, but also a lot of the times, like, it's pros really, at least the way I, I function is that I, I value much more watching someone play and seeing, you know, the decisions they make at different points, like, from their perspective, right? And then other times also just like having conversations with people, understanding, you know, what they think about magic, like what they would do in this perspective. Um, I find that way more valuable in terms of personally 
gauging how how good someone is than this person has two pro tour top eights or this person's won a grand prix this person's won a pro tour and certainly there's often a perspective in the pro community that someone who wins a pro tour but doesn't have anything else they're just like a one-hit wonder right uh, mm. there's a bunch of people i could name who won one pro tour right but who are not really respected as great magic players by by the, the pro community and you know you can say this speaks to elitism or whatever but you know i'm not, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna say any of those people's names i'm not gonna make them feel bad about their accomplishments that's not the goal it's right. the goal you're, you're just saying that you were in that boat at some point, right? Yeah, and I was, I was definitely in that boat at some point. I think that really kind of, you know, I, I was also somewhat of an unknown because a lot of the pro communities, there wasn't really a Canadian pro community, right? Yeah. Um, Canada had kind of been off the map for a while until I sort of put it back on the map because I think a lot of people in Canada got motivated from following my win to see that, like, it was possible, you know, it wasn't just these American super teams or, you know, the Japanese powerhouses or whatever that were, that were winning these things, you know, that some outsiders could win too. And uh, so that changed and I started, you know, where I was working with some Canadians and then nowadays it seems like there's a lot of, a lot of really good Canadian magic players, you know, from online, but also from, from kind of growing up in the next generation, which is, and I'm, I'm really, really pleased about that. Mm. But at the time there wasn't, so I was kind of, unknown i wasn't really a big online player i hadn't played in any of the seg circuits i hadn't really had the money before to participate in, in a bunch of the gps uh so a lot of the american pros didn't really know me and so they got to know me a bit more at you know at, at worlds and, and following pro tours and, and more grand prix circuit and stuff and the fact that like you know the in the one year I, I won three Grand Prix in like 2013 and 2014 season. I think that was kind of the point where where I sort of was cemented as being one of the top players in the world, you know, instead of just that lucky kid who won a tournament with miracles. But I think in the public's eye, I, I, I remained that maybe that lucky kid for for a while, especially because like I beat the fan favorite and John Finkel. And, every, you know, there are a lot of people who are angry. Oh, why? I wanted John Finkel to win. He's my favorite, you know, and, uh, various things like that. So yeah. there's there's that. And I, I could feel some of that. But a lot of people really, you know, really told me that me winning that meant a lot to them or that that was the first time they watched coverage and it was really cool watching me win. And I would end up signing play mats and stuff. And I felt a little awkward about it, you know, but at least the nice thing about magic fame is, you know, unlike, let's say, if you're a, a movie star, you get to turn it off as soon as you leave the convention center, it's pretty much gone. Yeah, you wouldn't get recognized on the street. Although I think, yeah, I think it's happened did like get recognized times, on a bus one time, but he told me, but yeah, I got, I got recognized, I think one time in the metro and one time at a grocery store. And I think that's, that's exactly that, the level of fame that I think we should all aspire to have is just just not like you could turn it off when you want to, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> It, it did affect me, though, in that, like, something I used to love to do, I used to love going to, like, F&M every weekend and going and just hanging out at my local LGS. And it changed how I felt about that and, like, going to my LGS and playing local events and playing pre-releases and stuff because suddenly, like, I wasn't just one of the, the group anymore, like, an, another anonymous person who just, like, liked playing Magic and was there and, and could just be my, whatever. I was suddenly, like, a figure and, like, with kids in the corner, like, looking at me and whispering, you know, would play play against me they'd be like oh no i can't believe it and they're like 
do you really need the packs from this pre-release win? Like, can't you let me go win? <laughs> and it's just like, I would just always Excuse feel bad when I go there and to, to beat someone. Like, either I beat someone and I feel bad because, like, for them, it's a big deal. For me, it's, like, small potatoes. Yeah. Or I would lose and then, like, be like, oh, I can't believe you lost. You must be really bad. <laughs> Good, you know, like whatever and, and so it's just like a lose-lose scenario okay i was gonna ask if this is all in your head <laughs> obviously it wasn't all in your head because like the people were actually reacting around you so yeah it's well, well it's not all in my head but it you know it's it's a large part in in my head <laughs> a lot of my universe is in my head that's that's partly yeah. what's me good at, at you know at playing these strategy games and stuff because i can visualize the potential universes following yeah. every decision tree but it's in, in real life it can be overwhelming at times you know it's a personally i love that i love like i'm not a i'm not anywhere on your level i just i just love like hearing about pros just like randomly crushing or as uh, somebody said like i think there's a term smurfing like you just you just show <laughs> up and just just crush because i've seen like people like tweet oh yeah i just won the rcq just won that or whatever like even if it was and <laughs> that's like that's good because like it's it's a it's a skill-based game right and you shouldn't apologize for that but yeah well, i mean some maybe, maybe do, taking some someone's two packs it, might really <laughs> some people love it i don't i don't i don't mind the the games the second part as much as like the first part of just not really feeling like i belong like i'm i'm separate and in some ways like mm -hmm. when it happened that that became even bigger because as a member of the npl i was separate even from like the other pros and semi-pros you know yeah that, Obviously, like you know, there was there was a gradient difference, but now it was just like a, a camp difference. Like, you know, there was the MPL and then everybody else. Whereas before it was like platinum, gold, and silver. And it's like, sure, I was platinum most of the time, but like and like the silver people didn't feel like I was just different and getting privileges or something. Right. I right. Felt more ostracized following that. And I, I know a lot of other members of the MPL I think felt the same way. Uh, and that was I think that didn't help me when I was going through a lot of mental health, health stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I felt that the following just being a PT champ a, a little bit, you know, that I was no longer anonymous, which I'd, I'd liked going to magic tournaments being anonymous besides the fact that also like in the couple of GPs that I did play could get into some money drafts or, or whatever with people. And they're like, Oh, this is just a group of Canadians. We'll beat them. Take their money. Bad. Yeah. And then, you know, KYT and I, and, and this is a third friend of ours, Joey, we just, I remember we went to GP Orlando and we just cleaned house, you know, from, from a bunch of, and then I remember what my, my highlight was after like handing me a hundred bucks one after like beating him three times in a row, some guy was like, no, you played really well. Like, you know, he was, <laughs> it was a shock. Like this Canadian kid can play well. He just know? felt like he got grifted or something, or just just. Yeah, totally. I don't know if he. Well, I mean, he kind of did get grifted, but it's just like, I, it's. But that's not the the main thing. It was more just, I, you know, I I liked going to Magic tournaments because I felt like I belonged, you know. And in in high school stuff, I was bullied. I was always like the nerdy kid, you know, as whatever as cliched as it is. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, when I you know I. There were kind of magic tournaments and, and magic stores. I kind of felt like I found my people, you know, we were a little smart people, but maybe a little bit uh, underachievers, uh, you know, kind of a little bit, little bit social outcasts in some ways. And, and kind of nobody really cared about any of that. It was just like, hey, let's, isn't this card awesome? Or wow, that was a cool play. Or how do can I see your deck list? It's sweet and all that stuff. And, 
and I kind of lost a bit of that camaraderie when, you know, when I was suddenly a PT champion, I was just, I was viewed as other, right? I was like figure in the community instead of a person. It sounds like it might've had also some other unhealthy side effects because you said, you know, like the year or two years after you were winning a lot of GPs, were you, can I assume that you were partially doing that to try to prove people to prove to people that you had longevity, that you actually had results beyond the the PT win? Like you wanted to, like you had a chip on your shoulder. Can I safely assume that? Oh yeah. I think you definitely can. I mean, especially I spent a long time chasing my second pro tour top eight. Mm -hmm. Um, like I think for people paying attention, they could like, I, I had very consistent results at the pro tour level. I would, I'd basically be in the top 50 of the event, like half the time or something, you know, I cashed half the, half the pro tours I would play. Uh, and, you know, I, when they started the top 25 rankings or something, I think I was in it the second most, maybe I think it was re, basically in terms of like consistency, I think Reed Duke was like number one and I was like number two. Um, and, you know, always prefer being number one, but if you have to be behind someone, reduce not a bad person for it to be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yes, but I didn't really have any flashy performances. You know, I had like, had a, I, would, I would come top 32 a bunch. I'd come, I'd come top 16 sometimes, top 64 a bunch, you know, but those are not finishes that most people really pay attention to, especially, you know, like some pros would, would, would say, hey, you know, he's, you're, he's always doing well, like this is a bunch of pro points, whatever. but. I kind of felt like I really wanted to, you know, get that other pro tour top. And I wanted to, I wanted to put together a hall of fame resume. Basically. For me, a lot of my time playing magic was, was wanting to become a hall of famer. Uh, and then what the year I finally became eligible, even though I personally don't think that I have a good enough resume, they, they re removed the hall of fame. So I was never, never allowed to be voted in. Well, I mean, there's also a side discussion. I think you mentioned, you had this in your podcast with KYT, which is sort of like, what is the value of a Hall of Fame today? And I would argue that it's very minimized, but just in terms of actually yeah. qualifying for the Hall of Fame in a vacuum, how close were you? Like, because I, I hear pros talking about these metrics, like, you know, it's like you put this people's achievements on a spreadsheet and it's like, you need this many number of like top x's in whatever to to be in the conversation like how cl close were you to that to being hall of fame in your mind i mean you mean like would i vote for me or did i did i think i, I mean of course you would vote for yourself right but i'm just saying that like well, in object is there some sort of, I mean, of course criteria on, myself. Like, on how like, like how close you were to being hall of fame like if you have like you know one or two additional finishes like in your mind what was that criteria yeah i think like one one PT top eight, maybe two more PT top eights, and and I have a, I think with one more top eight PT top eight, I'd probably have had a reasonable shot. And with two, I'd probably be be in for sure. Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how you would, and you know, GP results. I don't know how people weigh that and stuff. Um, different people have different methods on how they how they vote for for such things. Some people have you know ignore GP results, just all pro tour top eights. Some people look at, you know, win percentage like stats where where my numbers are were better. I think they've they've gone down since I the last few years I basically just have I've been completely phoning it in. Mm -hmm. uh, I th think I'm still hanging around this around the 60% win rate mark. So the R word, do you have regrets about that? Like not making it to the Yeah, home? well, I mean I I as it turns out, they they stopped the Hall of Fame before because you had to have been playing for ten years 
right, since your first pro tour to be for them to allow you in the Hall of Fame. And as soon as my 10 years was up, they, that was the year that they stopped having the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. The year before me. So I wouldn't have gotten in even if I had three more pro tour top eights. Or right. Whatever. And that was something entirely out of your control, just like the policy. Yeah. 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 So, you know, so in some way, it, I still, I wanted it more, less for the fact that it gave all these benefits and stuff and more for, you know, the recognition kind of. And and again, more for more for my peers than anything. I haven't really chased fame from from like the public. If I had, I like I would have written regular articles and stuff to become better known. You know, uh, probably would have streamed more, or I don't know, did yeah. some more cosplay. I mean, whatever. I stream when when I streamed, I you know I decided I was going to try streaming when the when the MPL streaming contract happened, in, but I wasn't going to do you know the bare minimum. Just I was going to either dive in see if it was something I liked or not and that's kind of how I approach a bunch of things you know I, I often go in I either go you know full throttle or, or not and I went full throttle you know I was streaming like eight hours every day seven days a week for for, for a month and my, my stream was doing pretty well and you know I I got was number one mythic in a tough time and all various things and it was cool but I I realized it wasn't really something for me you know it wasn't what what I've always loved about magic is like the you know kind of the the, the puzzle of it right the the intellectual exercise of of min maxing and and pushing against my past self right to be better uh, and streaming was way more in the entertainment side of things which is where side of you know pro magic is going now and also I just have a sense that you don't you probably don't enjoy playing eight hours of magic a day. It doesn't matter if it's on yeah, arena that, or you're streaming. Is... Like, it's not even about, am I making money from this or not? It's not even about if people are watching me or not. But the way you described your yourself is like, you were never like super hardcore into magic online, like grinding. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe, maybe there no, were No, you're absolutely times, right. I, I like, would, I, you would think about magic. magic was... It's more about quality over quantity, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I was, I was never, a, 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 I mean, I, at the very beginning when I started playing Magic, right, I was, I played a huge amount of quantity. I was just, this this game's super fresh and it's, yeah, it's fast. Because you're trying to soak it all in, you're a novice, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, a lot of new things with me, that's the way, way I go. Like, uh, but, but yeah, eight hours of Magic a day was, was a lot for me. And I, I didn't particularly enjoy it. In some ways, I enjoyed like interacting with Chad and, and stuff more than just playing that much Magic. I, I like thinking about Magic. I even like watching magic, like I watching magic coverage when it's good players playing. Uh, I find I find interesting. I find it too difficult to watch when it's not good players watching. <laughs> Frustrates me too much. I'm like, no, don't do that. No, why are you attacking? No, ah! And then <laughs> it just it like it's painful for me, you know. That something. I mean, I, I like watching the NBA, but I don't want to watch like minor league basketball or the G League or even the <laughs> summer league. It's just not good. It's just not a good product. So it's like, I why would I yeah. want to watch something sub substandard when I can watch the the best of the best, right? Right. Well, it's not only that, but it's also like imagine it's like well, uh, okay, I don't want I I don't know very many basketball players, so forgive me that I'm comparing myself to LeBron James here. But anyways, it's like LeBron James watching the NBA or watching like you know. A, a kid's kid's basketball game you know it's like i guess he'll watch he will watch his own kids but that, that's that's another yeah, thing yeah, yeah. yeah. well I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll watch my own friends who are who are playing who are not that good you know like yeah. they're playing ptq finals or something i'll watch that but if, I've even 
even when I wasn't a pro, I still would find that watching it like too stressful. Mm. Watch my friends playing, and and especially because when they screw up, like no, 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 <laughs> you're too invested. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's too too invested. I in some ways, I always would would feel more emotions when I when my friends would win tournaments than when I would like. I the the best I felt was when Steve Rubin, yeah, won 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 the the pro tour. I guess it was. Uh, Shadows of Innistrad, I think. Yeah. Okay. There's so, also something interesting because I, I talked to your your friend Mike Sigris, who is uh, yeah. no slouch when it comes to magic himself. And no. I'm actually going to read you something that he told me about you. He said, "Okay, Alex is the kind of person. I'm I'm just reading directly. Alex is the kind of person who can just play. Doesn't need practice or anything. Plays nearly perfect all the time." His biggest weakness was always deck selection. He'd like to do something crazy rather than just play the best deck. <laughs> Would you agree with that? Yeah, those those for a lot of my career, that was definitely definitely the the one of my. Does, it does speak to the you're not like mindlessly grinding. Like the yeah, I mean, it was never doesn't need practice. Just sort of like thinks about things in your head and and just just get to work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I I've I've said this to other people that I've kind of and. For, for magic players or at least like pros you know let's say for players in general there's the mark rosewater classification of like Timmy, tammy whatever john johnny john spike you know whatever mm -hmm. um and then i think that what is it vorthos melvin they added on later but for for like pro magic player styles i've always kind of viewed it as like you know the the best player of all time is is you know people are saying was is it kai is it john right and i in some ways, like the magic, the style has been, you know, of magic player. I've, I've also viewed as like players are often tend to have like a Kai like approach or a John like approach. Um, in that, like someone else in the Kai style would be, let's say, uh, you know, Brad Nelson. He's famous for, you know, playing a ton, grinding everything out, figuring out, you know, what the metagame is, being extremely well practiced, and then going in and just crushing a tournament because he knows everything that's going on, right? Versus like the John Finkel method of like, Maybe not doing that as much, you know. Maybe you don't get to like the ninety-nine percent as much, but you're like at your your baseline is like higher. You can go into a tournament with maybe not as much practice, but you really but extreme to... intuition, right? Just just yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and kind of I've I'm I've always been more in kind of that camp. Um, yeah, and that's not anything that you can really train for, right? I'm guessing like you just you're just kind of innately intuitive. Yeah, somewhat. I mean. It, it's a lot of like also habits like I, I'm sure you know I, I, along with like a lot of other people probably listening in school you know I was one of a smarter kid and like I didn't have to work that hard to be able to get pretty good grades right mm -hmm. and so you kind of learn to coast more than the necessary put in the work so like I can let's say I, I'm at school assignment right I could do it in one hour and get 90 percent or I can put 10 hours in and get 95 percent like the answer is pretty simple. I'm going to, you know, there's not really much incentive to get 95. I'll put in the one hour and get 90. Whereas some people, it might not necessarily come so easily to them so that they have to put in, let's say five hours to get, you know, 90%. But then they, then going to get to 95 is not as maybe as big a jump. And they're more used to having to put in that level of work that they'll decide to push it all the way. Right. Uh, and kind of I've built up those habits over a lifetime of like never really, you know, 
putting in putting in necessarily that level of work to to get things actually to the top top when I can do put in a small amount and get it very good. Like when it comes to magic, for instance, I can pick up a deck blind and play it at a 90%, right? Or I can put in a whole lot of effort to get it to like 99%. And, you know, even like with a, a, a day of practice, right? I can get to 95% or something. And for most pro tours, right? Like I pick up a, I would either pick up a deck 90 and get it or, or like most recent top eight, I guess, was with Tron where, you know, I, I'd never played a single game with the deck before uh, before the tournament, um, and where or like other decks where where you know we would only have built them in like the week before the tournament, but I could I could pretty easily get to ninety five on the last day of just practicing with it. But there's other decks that I have a lot of practice with, and I would I would get higher amounts. But it's just kind of putting my effort into other things was always somewhat more valuable. Were you just disinterested or did you feel like it was just a classic diminishing returns thing? Like, I don't want to spend the time to go from 95 to 96. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's more disinterested um, than, than the diminishing returns. Cause I think in, in like pro magic in general is diminishing returns, right? Like first 10 hours <laughs> of magic it gives you more of a benefit than is it really better when you're you know right. an hour 100 of testing versus hour 10 right probably not that much yeah and i actually found that in some ways like it's uh for for me personally the point where i got bored with the deck when i had like enough i hadn't quite reached like the full amount of practice to like know everything perfectly but i was like partway through like halfway there let's say i would actually do worse because i was bored with the decks and and i was like on autopilot more than a little bit of practice the deck was good for me because you know i would know some basic ins and outs but having having to rely on my on actually calculating things rather than just autopilot is hugely beneficial for me Uh, this feels like another version of the whole beginner's mind concept but applied to a deck where it's like you know you know there there seems to be more possibilities when you are a quote-unquote beginner and when you get more and more when you get too familiar with it, maybe in magic, in a magic sense, it's just like you might be more autopiloting in some aspects because you you think you've done it all, seen it all. Yeah, and I think for me also, like keeping myself interested in it, so that like I'm having fun as well yeah. when I decks fresh, uh, I would I'd play better. And I think in general, I would also I would, just magic in general, I'd play better when when it was more fun for me. So what was the period of time when you worked yourself the hardest intellectually as a magic player was it after the pt win or was it another period yeah i think it was like i think the biggest time i did that was yeah was was after i think there were there was a a period where i would just be going to tournaments all the time and playing magic all the time and thinking of it all the time so it was you know my world was was magic and that was that was natural, I guess, when I had had like, you know, felt like it was I was the best and and had pretty pretty much better results in, in a lot of ways. But the thing with magic is it the game's constantly changing and there's so many different forms of it. Let's say, you know, the most classic being limited versus constructed. And there's always more to like improve on. Uh, for instance, early on in, in my career, kind of, I would say that I was. At first, I was better at limited than constructed, and then it switched that I was better at constructed than limited, 
And then towards the end, I was better at limited than constructed again. Uh, and now, yeah, I mean, the re recent years, it's, there kind of hasn't really been any limited at the pro level. So there hasn't been any, any reason to kind of exercise those muscles. Uh, and, and different things have been important, you know, at certain points like card advantage and, and kind of like knife fights, equivalent exchanges were, were, were valuable. And now it's way more like haymakers, you know, landing a Omnath or a planeswalker and protecting it, having one big thing. Uh, that snowballs, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, it changes and I, you know, I, I don't know, you know, maybe I could put the same amount of effort in at this time and not be as good because my skills are better for the, the previous type of, of magic. Uh, but I don't really know because I'm not putting in the same level, level of intellectual effort in as I was kind of back then. Something as simple like Jacob Wilson, another great player, he said, like, you know, there's with Scrylands back in the day that, you know, everybody else you'd watch would like, just play Scryland, turn one, and scry. And I often would like, if I could figure out a, a gap in my curve when I didn't need the mana, I, could, I would wait so that I would have more information about what I needed, you know? And that's just like a small difference that, you know, can pay off a huge amount because let's oh, say, totally. I think on turn one, you play a scry land, you, you see a land on top. Do you want it or not? Well, you do want to draw another land, but you don't want to draw three more lands, right? Whereas two turns later, if you've drawn two lands, you see a land on the top, easy goes on the bottom. That's the stuff that I live for is just the incremental decisions in magic. Cause like, yes. you know, sometimes it's like, you know, or maybe another one would be like thought seizing on turn two or three, even though you have the mana to do it earlier, earlier in the game, because you, you, you sort of like try to match the curve of what your opponent could have or not have. I think those intricate decisions uh, to a large extent are, have kind of gone away from the modern game because of the haymakery nature of things. Um, which is why I love those PV articles where he's just talking about like, should I mulligan this hand and talks for like 20 minutes about it? Or maybe he, he might <laughs> even have an example with the Scryland because like, those are, those are the intricate decisions that I, I love, but it, I think, I think we're going away a little bit from, from that in the modern era. Right. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And that's kind of, those things are, are kind of still, still now even are the, are the more fun things for me in the, in the game. Those little, those little intricate decisions. So hearing you talk about this stuff, would you say that your humility has gone up over the years as regards to, to magic, perhaps? I think in, in my humility, yeah, it, it's, it's varied because I think there's some points where, where it was high, like where I was, some ways I was you know, down myself. Uh, I think a lot of the time I would put up false bravado kind of, you know, because I would I pretend that I was really cocky and arrogant all the time when, when, you know, I didn't feel that way inside. Uh, and I, but I think, yeah, I think partly as, as getting older and wiser, I have, have gone some more humility, even if I'm still willing to challenge some youngsters for heavy high stakes, magic drafts or something, you know, when they, when they, when they start getting, getting too cocky, you know, I have to, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy to imagine what magic would have been like if uh magic twitter was around 10 or 15 years ago it probably oh would have yeah been pretty wild <laughs> i think a lot more uncensored i would say probably yeah i mean the you know for the when you, you were talking about saying things as they are or something you know like 
the generation of magic players before me, there was so many stories of of stuff that you know wouldn't fly nowadays. You know, things that are definitely unsporting conduct. The guys are playing a match for for top eight of a tournament, and one guy draws a card for his turn, and it's just like, oh, judge, I need to go to the bathroom really desperately. Okay, they bring him to the bathroom, but he doesn't go. He just puts some water on his face. You know, comes back, flips over his card. It's like fireball, basically. You know, fireball kill you. Had <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> other other things like that, and of course, there's so many rivalries of people who hated each other. Oh yeah. Most part yeah. in my era, people have been have, have mostly liked each other mm-hmm. until the Twitter era started again now and everybody hates each other again but it's I think I think Twitter now though is kind of like a lot of it is just pretend I think people don't Mm -hmm. really hate each other in the same way that there were these kind of like villain heel hero arcs that magic used to have because like I I think there's one thing you always hear about which is just magic doesn't have any heels right like I guess somebody like Austin Bursevich is like maybe the closest to that it's just like Someone who yeah, likes to not, pick up the scabs. He's a wannabe of... heel, but he's not. He's more... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what I mean, right? Like there isn't someone who, like everyone, just yeah. loves to hate and is like so ubiquitous that it's kind of like the wrestling analogy and all that, right? So, yeah, I know, I, 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 I get it. Like I tried to do it a bit, but you know, play up a bit for the cameras. Let's say in, in PT London, whereas in the playing in the top four, and I reviewed this. What you're gonna do is, you know, you're against this guy. What's gonna happen is he's gonna get Tron. Karn, Amber, you know, boom. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I'm gonna destroy him and stuff like that. Like, you know, I, I've I've always been up for for playing it up for 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 the cameras of it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Although uh, something having- I think you are very good at, maybe we can talk about it, is like I, I use this term in a very in the most flattering way because I, I think there's a lot of skill involved in just being a very good troll. Like I hope you're not well, offended you. by no, definitely that, because not. I, no, I, I, mean, I see you in the pantheon like i think there's lsv <laughs> there is sperling i interviewed sperling just because i thought he was like one of the most brilliant trolls uh that are active in magic today and there's you and honestly there's not a lot of good trolls because the art of trolling is really hard like you have to make people you have to make it kind of believable that you really are oblivious when in fact there's a high level of intelligence that goes into trolling so maybe can you talk to me a bit about like sure. how you see yourself on that on in that pantheon or if you if you if you agree with my assessment of you yeah i i would definitely agree that i'm i'm a pretty big troll uh <laughs> and yeah i'd like to view it in the more positive way rather than you know i try not to go after anyone maybe like, maybe joker is maybe a better term yeah there's yeah, like maybe. bad connotations with troll, right? There's some, but yeah, I mean, it, I think in the magic community, mostly trolling is is as viewed as in 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 the jokester, you know, prankster style thing. I mean, I when I was a kid, I would do various pranks and stuff. You know, just an example. Even recently, I saw like it was you know the middle of the night, someone just walking by my on my street. I was up and I just turned my light on, flashed it twice, you know, and then stopped, flashed it twice again, you know, just. Just for no reason, right? But it's like yeah, just, just Morse code them, yeah. Like, just, just, yeah, you know, freak them it's out. It's just like, I, and I, I've also, I, oh, I, I have a, I have a good one uh, with 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 Josh McLean, who um, was a, a teammate of mine for a long time, and he's American, but a lot of people would joke that he was Canadian because he was he's such a nice guy. Mm. Uh, he would make fun of Canadians a bit. So at one point, you know, he was like, "Oh, you Canadians are you're so weird. Like you have." You say Z instead of Z in the alphabet. Like, how do you even do the alphabet song? You know, 
of course, the Canadian American alphabet song, other than being Z, still ends with like, you know, uh, next time won't you sing with me? But I said, oh, next time will you sing with me instead? You know, because it rhymes with Z. And he's like, oh, okay. And then, and then like a year later, I was in, in a car with him and John Stern, another another Canadian magic player, and 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 Josh's roommate. And he said, yeah, Canadians are so weird. You have this song, and it ends in, won't we sing instead? And, uh, and, John Stern just laughs like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and it was you know, completely harmless troll, but I just, and the fact that I was there to see that seed that I planted. You made him here. factually believe that there was exactly, yeah, yeah. thing. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, things like that, I, I, I enjoy little things, but also, yeah, on, on, on Twitter and stuff, uh, there's, I, I believe I can't, I have no actual evidence, but, you know, the, the MPL contract has changed over the years. And uh, after the first year and the second year, they added a, a, a clause that uh, we're not allowed to make fun of wizards. Uh, the no trolling you know, wizards Unusual clause. legalese, let's say, right? Yeah. Uh, but and I, I feel like I at least it was, a, it was a reasonable reason why that clause was added because I was, yeah, I was, I was maybe a little vicious you know I, I also didn't like being muzzled by my MPL clause so I made a lot of tweets that could be interpreted multiple ways but it was like on the line or something yeah yeah well like at least plausible deniability you know uh, yeah well, <laughs> you know you know what they say me, you but know, for, let, 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 for, for Michael Jordan they changed the rules of the NBA you know you could do two and a half steps instead of two steps <laughs> and you know for Shaquille O'Neal like you know, you could now pummel him and not like, you know, they, they changed the rules where in the last like seconds, like if you intentional foul him, like he could get the free throws or whatever. It was a technical foul. I don't remember exactly what it was. So I feel like for the greats, if they change the rules for you, that probably means you're one of the greats. So I could, I could plausibly believe that you at some point were the LeBron James of magic, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's the criteria right there. I can, I can. I can appreciate that if you're if you're talking, you know, both Sperling and LSV are are are, are definitely proud company to be with if you're mentioning trolls. Uh, I I have to give say Jacob Wilson's a pretty good. Jacob troll. Wilson is up there too, right? Yeah, he's a, he's a he's bit got of a the dry guy, the dry but, yeah. kind of humor kind of thing, which adds to it. Andrew Cunio also I think is an excellent troll. Andrew, okay, he's, he's maybe underrated because he's so dry that people yeah. don't necessarily get it, but he's got a he's got a really really nice. Uh, really nice sense of humor and very trollish, especially with old cards and and various obscure things. Okay, so is that is that your Magic Troll Hall of Fame, or are there others? Mm, I'd have to have to really think of that in the, in the <laughs> Hall of Fame. You know what? I have to make a spreadsheet to really check everybody's you know troll results. Basically, but like the share one more like the, the percentage of times their jokes landed and all that stuff. Like you got to analyze yeah. the conversion rate. Yeah. Well, I do remember being on a on a pro tour testing team with both Paul Chion and and uh, Luis, and uh, we were the three of us were walking to the site in, in I think it was in Brussels, and there's there in Brussels they have these uh, these like bakeries slash cafes called Paul, you know, and the and uh, we're walking by them and it's uh, closed and you know and basically and I were were making all kinds of jokes about it to Paul as we we're going there. The best of which I think was that you know. It doesn't do much business on Sundays or whatever. <laughs> like, I talk because Paul has no PP top eights. Uh, 
<laughs> this is like the mailman doesn't deliver on Sunday, but like the magic equivalent. Yeah. There's a there's a yeah, there's a, a you know the story behind that with Carl Malone and NBA Finals where like they trash talk him before he went and shot like two critical free throws and he ended up breaking it because because they said he the his nickname was the mailman. So they said the mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays. They said that to him like in an NBA playoff game. So and it worked. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, it's like yeah, oh, Sean, Sean's underrated. He because he's a he's a good like Laurel and Hardy to to Luis. I get that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Paul Paul Chion definitely yeah, was was is a, is a great target for trolling. You know, just like I, he's kind of I viewed him as like a, you know Luis's KYT because I I also <laughs> KYT a good. Uh, I wasn't going to say, but yeah, I think the analogy <laughs> fits right. The glove fits or whatever the the analogy. Yeah, there's but the basically the kind of you know, asshole like guy. And then, and then the, the, the friend who's too nice to say anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, so, Paul fought back a bit. I think he occasionally would punch Luis when he got too much. Like, I think he was close okay. when we were talking there and we're saying, yeah, you know, that Paul place, it's okay. You know, it's not, it's not a great cafe. Just, yeah. <laughs> just pretty average, you know, but <laughs> I love how it's, I, I love it's all relative, right? Because it's like, you know, you could, you could like, you could punch down, but in fact, the person you're punching down on and jokingly is still like in the top 0.01% of magic players. Like it's all, it's all relative. Oh, absolutely. In the yeah. Well, I, I, I prefer making fun of, of my friends and, you know, I, and it's also especially making fun of people for things they're actually good at, you know, turning it, turning the other way around, you know, like, right. Have you ever, well, have you ever made fun of somebody and they were just like truly offended? Like they just, like, they just I totally think, did. Yeah, I think it's happened. I think it's happened like a, a happened a couple of times, you know, it, okay. it happened. I, and, and then I like, I feel bad. And I apologize. You know, I, but it's, there's always a balance, you know, because the kind of the closer to the line you are sort of the, the funnier it is, but mm. you cross that line then it's not funny. Such anymore. a tightrope. Yeah. That's a lot of things with comedy we're seeing more and more nowadays, right? Of comedy is often offensive in, in a lot of ways, right? So yeah, yeah. But that's why you know I I, I prefer doing doing with people who are who are very good friends of mine because then like if I do overstep, then you know they understand and they they know me enough to know that I'm not intending to make make mm-hmm. them feel or whatever. I do want to ask I, you something, which is kind of related to a lot of things that we've been talking about up to this point, which is I can't help but feel as someone who talks to a lot of PT level players in this interview series, but is not in the PT club, that there does tend to be a little bit of the G word, gatekeeping. You're either in the club or you're not. And I also, I want to take back what I said in the beginning, the intro about how you're part of the old boys club. And let's, let's face it. It's, it's mostly boys. Like, um you're not it's all so, boys there's, so, there, yeah, there's, it's, there's no there's you know no, you know what i mean no right yeah it's it's yeah. all men or boys or man boys or yeah. whatever it's it's like a Jed apatow movie um you know uh <laughs> it, it's like there's there seems to be this very much this mindset of like you're either good enough or you're not and if you're not in the pt boys club even if you're like a very good player like you're a croquis like like you ain't shit right um and 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 I think you I have to actually stop you there. I, I don't know. I don't know if I could be on a podcast that describes Croquis as a very good player. I might I, have. To. <laughs> I we're gonna have to cut. We're gonna right have there. to. Might have to like do some editing there. But uh, no offense against the guy. No, he's a very very good streamer, content creator. I'm just saying that I'm not. Oh, he's putting, a chill I'm dude not... too. I met him in person. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> another. 
he's 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 a pretty good he's, he's a, a good troll too yeah. yeah yeah he can take he can take it which is which is what i love like like the thing about trolls is that you have to be able to give it and you have to be able to take it like you can't oh, just be one yeah. dimensional so if it, you have to, you can't be in the pantheon unless you can do both ways and i think he's probably in consideration for top 10 or whatever that might be like a, another discussion we don't want to go down that that rat hole but but basically yeah, I think he's a better my, troll than he is a magic player there you go well we'll quote you on that um uh <laughs> it's really hard for me to continue <laughs> the question now so back to the gatekeeping thing it does feel like you've even experienced it at some point so like then when you kind of make it into the club you kind of you're kind of like oh man i worked so hard to be in the club or maybe sub subconsciously it's like yeah now i can now I can sort of like gatekeep because like, I'll be honest, it's really hard for me to sometimes listen to a lot of like the pro discourse without just feeling like we're better than everybody and, and you ain't shit because like, oh, you know, you may be streaming for, you know, playing these things or winning your GP, but you know, you haven't done this. So, you know, you're not at our level. Right. So are you, are you aware of that? Or would you, would you say that I've completely falsely characterized no, I don't uh, think I don't think yeah. you're entirely wrong. So, for, I mean, first of all, I mentioned it sort of my experiences against that, right? When I like I won a PC and then I was still not like accepted in the club, as it were. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's definitely some gatekeeping there in terms of you know actually succeeding in Magic. You can go and do it yourself, right? Without without being a member of the club, so you're not that's not being gatekept. It's more that like full acceptance as being like a great player requires a certain amount of, of evidence to, you know, the group. And I think it does vary based off of whether you're liked or whether you're already known by the, the people, right? Mm -hmm. um, like in other areas, I think, you know, charismatic people or, or geographically close or whatever, friends of friends, uh, they get a big step up. Like, you know, like I can, I can sort of, for instance, view my starting position in Magic versus, let's say, Shahar Shanhar, another great Magic player. Um, and I, I don't say this to take anything against him, but, you know, when he started, he was playing at, like, the Channel Fireball store or whatever. And then because of that, he, like, you know, was meet, met and got befriended. And he's, he's a very friendly, nice guy, you know, um, with, like, all the, you know, Luis and Paul and Raptor and Matt Nass mm -hmm. and all those guys, right? Mm -hmm. And... So as soon as he has starts having a little bit of pro success, you know, they've they've watched him play, they know him, they like him. Hey, you want to come test with us? And then that gives him, you know, the the boost onto the next level mm -hmm. fairly easily, painlessly, right? Compared to someone who is coming from, let's say, Magic Online, knows nobody, and is trying to level up that way. It's harder, you know, once they get their first GP top eight to really push on and be like a pro level player. Yeah, it's harder. I mean, that's not gatekeeping. That's just sort of the the having good fortune to be in a certain location or being a good networker uh, or just being in physical proximity to to certain regions of magic players. I guess it's like that in actually a lot of industries, you know, like, uh, you know, yeah. I, I, that's it's also harder for like if you live in Canada, if you live in brazil or where whatever right it's it's not inconceivable but it's it's just harder from the beginning i think that's your point uh, yeah that's 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 part of my point but i mean what do you what do you mean by gatekeeping in if if you're not referring to being allowed in the club as in 
you know, being allowed. Oh to yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess, yeah. So that, my that general, is kind of what. Yeah, my general sentiment is that like the pro community is very judgmental, and there's just sort of like there's just a decision made on whether or not you're accepted in or not, and the criteria might not always be transparent. I mean, that's it's like this. It's like this in every social group, right? So, uh, just just basically asking you if if that's the reality or it, or is there actually kind of a meritocracy? Cause like, you know, if you do well enough in terms of results then you will be accepted. And that, so in that sense, it's not really gatekeeping cause gatekeeping implies there's some level of subjectivity uh, in terms of like who's allowed in and who's not. I mean, there's also another right. argument about whether in or not is even valuable which is probably not at this point, but, uh, but, but yeah, I, I think well, you understand. Certainly understand at this point it's not, not really yeah. valuable, but more, I think what, what I was saying is sort of that how I viewed it is that someone like Shahar was in, was was let past the gates because you know of the people he knew and the, and the friends he had easier than someone else who would you know, let's say have the same level of results if you if that's all you're looking at right mm -hmm. can, they'd see him play they talk to him they know him they like him mm -hmm. um, versus like let's say you know I could say me where they hadn't really seen me play that much I had maybe better results than Shahar but I was I wasn't in, you know invited into any teams the thing is I do think. And like the, the balance with that in a, in a meritocracy is that to become a, one of the great magic players, you really, you really do need to play with other great magic players. There's only so far that let's say grinding modal leagues and stuff can take you. Um, you know, you can, again, you can get to 85% from that or something, but to get the next, you know, 10 and 15%, you really need to play with other people who are, who are the greats because the, the, the edges there are so small and you're just not going to pick them up. Uh, like that, you you really need someone watching you and asking why you're making this. Nowadays, there's magic coaching available all the time, which I think can kind of bridge that gap a lot. Back in the day, at least, really the the best magic players were the ones who kind of got taken under someone else's wing at some point or another. Uh, they were seen as kind of having promise and and pushed up. And you do need someone to see that promise in you and and kind of to to be accepted by like the pro community. Usually meant that you had a bunch of members who are already respected in the community vouch for you, right? Whether or not, you know, so for instance, Luis can say, yeah, this kid Shahar, he's, he's actually really good. You know, even though he doesn't have that many results yet, uh, I've seen him play and he's, he's a cool dude. I think we should work with him or we should help him out, you know? Um, okay, cool. You know, versus like this other person who has equivalent person with equivalent results, nobody's going to vouch for until, they accumulate, you know, three, four times the amount of results and they've been seen play. It says, okay, this guy's pretty good. We should like see if they want to work with us or something. Um, did you feel like you were always in the second category or did you have people vouch for you? I, well, at first I was in the second category, but then I, I got to the point where I was in the first category sort of where I was better known and, and I guess somewhat liked, you know, it's hard to always when it's you yourself. Yeah. Uh, but, and relatively respected, I think. You know, I, I had I had put up results. Enough people had seen me play. Like I, I had had a, a solid reputation. I think at least as 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 a, as a good player. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's I, I I mean I know people who've who are who are good players or at least you know reasonable players who like never really got the chance to become great because they didn't have let's say like they weren't as likable or they weren't as known. Uh, and that was something like I I tried a little bit to work on 
the beginning when I was starting to become pro as like the first few pro tours, I would just invite every Canadian magic player who's qualified to come and test with our group. Uh, you know, anybody who wanted to could, could come. Uh, ended up shutting it down because I understand it's like the reason some of these, these limits are that it's, it's hard to test with when there's a huge skill disparity and some personalities and stuff can be grading, right? You're, you're, when you're stuck in a house with someone for a week or two, you want people <laughs> with, and you don't want personality to personality clashes and all that too. You don't have yeah. to, yeah. And you don't have to redo all your testing because like no matter which side of the matchup it is, it's like Luis always wins against Johnny or whatever. Know, whether it's johnny's playing burn or fairies you know like uh, it's hard to draw conclusions from that yeah exactly so that's why there's been that and then in more recent eras i think there's the gatekeeping is more with like someone will tweet that they are the best magic player in the world let's say you know croaky style like oh, i'm, I'm the one mythic baby guys yeah. look i've been top 17 mythic for three months in a row you know and the pros will come back with you know uh you know that doesn't mean anything like you know that come and prove yourself in a tournament like come and you know play play with us these, these stakes you know like i i was saying like they're you know these what i call these kids but you know they're whatever college age you know mid-20s at this point i'm i'm, I'm now <laughs> they're just up. younger than us sure <laughs> yes younger than younger than me and uh <laughs> they're you know some of them have basically have almost as much pro tour experience as I do, but it's just, they're just younger. So we can, so I can call them a kid. That's my right to someone in my mid almost 30 now. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so they, you know, they tweet, oh, I will play anyone a vintage cube 3v3 for 100 ticks or something. And it's like, you know, that that's a lot of bravado. But, you know, for some of us old timers, it's not worth getting out of bed for 100 ticks, you know? So they say, well, yeah. if you play for higher stakes, and they're like, no, 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 we're too scared of it. Well, it's, it usually it usually comes down to like, hey, I'm doing this thing for like 100 hours a week and you're not. Therefore, I am really good at doing this thing for 100 hours a week. Or there's some sort of like list discussion because we all love that stuff, which is like, oh, yeah. who is the greatest X of all time? Or who is the greatest X of, I don't know, the last 15 years that had a candy bar before they, before they <laughs> logged into arena or something. So it's like you could just break it down in so many different ways. And it's just in a way it's it's great fun but in other ways i can see people get a little too serious about it at times which is always yeah. a tough place to be right especially well, a lot of the problem is i think a lot of people you know we talked i talked about how i think become great at magic you need a certain level of obsession and stuff and i think again with the mental health stuff i was for sure guilty of this uh, i'm better now but you know i attach a lot of my self-worth to how how good I was in magic, how well I was doing in magic. Um, and it's, of course, incredibly unhealthy thing, but that, you know, pushed me, pushed me more. And I think that's the case for a lot of people who, you know, were or are at the top. Uh, so having, you know, your accomplishments diminished and basically is a, people take it as an attack, you know, it's attack on their ego, it's attack on their, their themselves. And that's why they can get way more involved in it than, it really warrants is someone posting like a screenshot of number one mythic. I'm the best in the world. You know, I personally, my, my approach is like, look, you know, if you want to believe that that's fine. Like, you know, if, if you're going to tweet at me, Hey, I'm better than you. You suck. Ha ha ha. I'm number one. That's maybe a, a you know, yeah, a brief... you come at the King, you best not miss. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, it's like, look, you can post that. And like, if you believe that, like, that's cool. I don't, you know, 
I don't believe that. And like, I, I think, you know, it's very easy to, to prove that that person is probably not the best magic player in the world in a bunch of different ways. Um, the issue I think nowadays comes that like it's the problem with a lot of the world is that there's no real objective truth in so many things like, right. Whereas there's like the, with in politics, you know, the, the deep state, not stuff or, you know, the Trump investigation locker up Hillary Clinton, whatever, you know, Biden's emails, you, you can, you can, the vaccine being good or not. Right. Like certainly, you know, we can disagree on what's actually factually true. Like I, you know, I believe that the vaccine is has been scientifically proven to be useful, right? Other people think, oh no, it's you know, it has other stuff. And with the internet, you can find tons of, you know, it's a any position can be supported. Yeah, exactly. Before the internet existed, nobody was a flat earther, right? It's just obvious. You stand at the edge of the water, you look at the horizon, you can see the curve. But you also no, couldn't organize, like you couldn't find the other hundred thousand yeah, people you, that you couldn't find a bunch universe. of yeah. Now you know there's it's very few people that are that percentage of like level of idiot, right? To actually believe the earth is flat. You have to you have to find people from a very large area to, to congregate on the internet and, and make YouTube videos to prove that it's true because you know, whatever conspiracy it is. And it's kind of that's that's invaded the magic world as well. And now that magic money and magic is no longer from what what is kind of the truth of like you know you come to a tournament if you win or you're not you don't win right like sure each individual time there's a bunch of variants but over time you get to see a picture of what the truth is right so over time luck eventually rounds to zero given enough time um, yeah uh, there's the whole now it's like... way more it's way more entertainment industry rather than a rather than like a, a proof of of who's actually the best and who's right about things. So it's all about making money and you get more eyeballs, you get more viewers watching you if you claim that you're like amazing, you're the best. And because of that, people are claiming it with, you know, at best flimsy evidence, right? And then other people refuting it because by other people claiming it's moving the viewers over to them and away from them, you know, like if someone says they're the best player of all, all time from Brazil, because they post a number one mythic thing. I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, if a lot of people, everybody believes that, it's going to hurt Paulo's business, right? He's not going to get as many people to coach. He's not going to get his great writing deals, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where kind of the, the, our current issues lie. And it doesn't really affect me that much because I'm not involved in any of this ecosystem anymore, but I still have some yeah. people I care about that are. So it does bother me a little bit when like, People effectively diminish those people's results in their resumes because you know I think they deserve to be getting paid for their efforts. Yes, um, and I think there are more and more. There's like kind of scam artists level people in the magic community. Uh, I think just being respectful of like of history, being respectful of context, is just something that's become very hard or harder to do in this yeah. day and age in 2022. Um, I would also argue as someone who has thought about this a heck of a lot, I, you wouldn't, I don't want to bore you with all the details that I, that I did, like just talking to people, you know, in private groups and things like that. Cause the other thing I believe too, is like, when you talk in a public setting, it all goes to shit very quickly. Like any topic, oh, yes. because nobody ever wants to say I'm wrong on the internet ever. Like, it's just, it's just not a thing. Right. I don't think anyone in history has ever said, admitted in a public forum, like I was wrong. Um, but I think it's also just people don't really want the truth anymore. 
I think people just don't really care about objectivity because life has become perceived is perceived to be more demanding, harder, which I actually refute on on several levels. But I think it's just the sentiment that people have, and you know, just doom scrolling and looking at how someone's like better or worse off than me because of Instagram or whatever crap is out there. Um, I don't think people want the truth anymore. I think people just want entertainment. People just want to be entertained by people fighting. They want to be entertained by making lists. And people also really care about, and I'm guilty of this too, because I make content like self-branding. So, you know, saying that I'm the best at X um, could be fun. It could benefit me. Like if I came out tomorrow and said, I'm the best Asian interviewer of a magic podcast that starts with humans, like, you know, you know what I mean, right? It's, there's degrees, yeah. but like, you know, people create these storylines. Everyone thinks they're an athlete or a celebrity now. So it's so different from back in the day where people, other people have to validate you. Now it's just kind of like, I will validate myself. Thank you very much. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it's, it's good unless when it comes to mental health, especially to, to self-validate yourself. Right. But yeah. when it, when it comes to like, online stuff yeah like you say there's people aren't really interested in in truth it's it's way more like just choose your own truth right you can kind of pick that more and more you know there's there's simulation theory that we're all living in a simulation right that uh we're just basically in a video game or that feels more plausible to me by the day honestly yeah like a year ago two years ago i was like there's no way but now i'm just like "Hmm." (laughs) yeah well you know are you familiar with the double slit experiment in physics, for example? That like I am, I am not. Is that uh, can you explain? Okay, something? well, basically that it's basically that that particles in our universe things behave differently when observed when not observed. So like if you shine a light through, a light can behave. Like oh, just the act of observation uh, makes the thing different. So yeah, so whether if you're looking at something or if you're not looking at something, it'll behave differently. Yeah. So obviously, if you're you know, if, if the world's a simulation, it would make sense that they're using more processing power in the parts that are being observed than the parts in the background. Is this like a more advanced version of Schrodinger's cat? I don't, I don't know what it... Uh, like. Yes, yeah, it's somewhat related to, to Schrodinger's cat. Okay, interesting. I might I have to look that up. Physicist, I just... The child of, of physicists. I think you are a physicist because if you if you, you can play one on the internet, uh, that's for sure. And you'll, you can yeah, actually, I'm the number one expert. In the You're the number one magic physicist that lives in Montreal and uh, has a name that's. When you had enough of that stuff, it, it's probably actually true. But you know, versus like this is you know number one pizza, you know best pizza in the world. <laughs> I do want to also ask you about something that it, it's actually a shame that table for two, your podcast with uh, KYT kind of discontinued. Like it looked like you guys came back in 2020 and it just, it just stopped again um, because, you know, he got busy and, you know, things happened. Right. But yeah. I really like the topic that you guys had about, I think it was in the last episode. It was, you know, you were talking about the content and how magic content has kind of gone down the shitter. There's giving you a cyborg guide and like, some of the stuff that's free is actually better. Like, you know, when Lucas Esper Bertude, you said, uh, wrote a tournament report on Reddit, it was, it was free, but it was actually valuable. Um, has yeah. your, how's your views about content? Have they, have they changed just in, in some way, like in the last two or three years based on what you. So I don't think my views have really changed since, since I, I, I talked about that on table for two with KYT. Um, uh, 
Yeah, one of, the, one of the fun things of that podcast is that like I can still tell people to go and listen to it because I think mostly it's it's timeless, you know, magic mm-hmm. as a magic podcast goes. It's more about general principles and ideas of things rather than like specific decks, which is again one of my issues in some ways about content now that you know like I, I'm I obviously have a biased perspective because back in the day when I was consuming a ton of content. It was something way more valuable to me than nowadays. Like I know most of the stuff that people are going to try and teach, but people aren't even trying. It seems to me that people aren't really trying to teach that stuff anymore. Uh, but when I was like an up and coming magic player, I learned a huge, huge amount. Like the mo- majority of what I learned about magic was from reading articles. And uh, I guess to a lesser extent, watching videos, it was almost all reading articles. Videos were, were less of a thing. I think it was like more coverage. Uh, of Brochure Top 8s, which is all they had back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but articles were huge. Like Mike Flores articles were valuable to me. Um, and probably the most valuable were uh, PV articles, um, who I think is the, you know, some people argue is the GOAT Magic player. That one, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pass on that, that discussion. But in terms of the, the GOAT Magic article writer, I think that he, for me, at least he's earned that because he's, he understands these concepts very well because he is a top, top level player and he's really good at articulating it and laying it out. And so you can learn so much, you know, you have to read and then you have to actually try and put that stuff into practice. That's, you know, like we talked about with mental health stuff, right? There's the, there's that gap. So you have to, you know, I recommend reading articles and then maybe playing some magic or, or doing whatever the, the thing is that discussed in the article right after mm-hmm. it. But you can learn so much with that. And nowadays, yeah, it's just people don't want that. It's I think in content, not just magic content, but worldwide has just realized what makes the most money, right? And it's that's it's the answer is clickbait crap. Just like what games make the most money, gotcha games and and all these like, you know, the freemium models where you know it's oh, it's free to enter. All, 99% of people pay nothing, and then like one percent of people pay a thousand dollars a day. And that makes you way more money than just selling a game for 80 bucks to everybody right it's the same thing yeah with content and magic it's basically you know there's one point where it was actual clickbait and now i think we've gone a little bit past that but it's now almost all just people like selling sideboard guides or you know now i guess i don't even look at the content anymore because i figured it's just commander stuff 90 percent of the time which is competitive magic is kind of on the down low but it's Would yeah. You, or, do you have any you know, thoughts? You're being to... spoon-fed things rather than like learning to cook. You know. Well, there's two things I want to explore here because um, you know one thing you talked about with KYT was also just because even back in 2020, Patreon was a thing already. So to me, at least, and I could be wrong. Like it feels like a lot of the good content is now paywall. It's like you want yeah. to get a good uh, Grixis Death Shadow guide you have to like pay this person twenty dollars a month or five dollars a month so you can get that if you want a really good you know black red mid-range deck you you join Derek's uh misplaced ginger's patreon and he'll give that to you so it feels like things are have evolved more in that direction where it's just like the under there's an understanding that people who want the actual strategic content now you can make an argument as to whether those guys are good or not but just put that aside for a second like it's there's sort of understanding now it's just like now to access these things you don't go on a site anymore 
you, a central site, you go and click this button to give this person $5, you get that. You give this person $10, you get that. So I guess the question is like, how do you feel about that? Is that, is that filling the void that uh, young Alex would have, uh, you know, was really into, you know, when you were reading articles and trying to get better as a magic player? Well, no, that's, that's the thing. Like it's the content they're producing is, is not, is not the kind of content that young Alex would, would like. I mean, would, again, it's the, it's the content that's useful if, if your goal is to perform as best you possibly can at this one upcoming tournament this right, weekend. Right, with deck X for this weekend, right? And that's yes. it. Like you have a tournament this weekend and you want to do as well as you can possibly in it, what you're, and you have half an hour to study up or whatever. These are the best resources you have for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're trying to, you know, become a better magic player, though, these are not good resources. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, again, with the clickbaity stuff, it's so much that our attention spans and our, you know, delayed gratification mechanisms and stuff, we're not, we're not good at that stuff anymore. Like you watch a, an old movie versus a modern movie, and the, the new movies are just so much faster paced because we can't sit there and wait for things to build up after a while, you know? Um, that's that's also like, I feel like it's also a change for me. Like I, I don't know if you um did you watch the new Batman movie? There was the one with uh the Batman that came out this year. Uh, no, I, I sadly haven't. It's but it's on my list. I want to I want to watch it. But you can so you can... I'll, I'll, I'm not going to spoil anything. I'll tell you. I really enjoy this movie as a as a diehard Batman fan. I really enjoy this movie. But even I, a man who is a self admitted boomer and in my 40s. I cannot help. The moment I, I booted up the movie on my streaming service, I was like, why is this movie over two hours? This is a two hour and 20 <laughs> minute movie. I ended up watching the movie over like three sittings, which is the beauty of like watching it at home, right? But yeah. even I, someone who lived through the 90s and the 90s are my favorite period in time, full stop. I, I just can't understand why a movie is now over 90 minutes. And it's just like, I, I fear that I have been, I have been damaged by the conditions surrounding me to to have a shorter attention yeah. span so i wonder oh, about that me, too me too for sure like okay first of all I, I i watch movies way less than shows now um partly i think that shows often are, are better quality they more original content rather yep. than movies which tend all to the be... good stuff when it went into shows now yeah that's for sure yeah and for a show you definitely don't need as as long an attention span or a period of time but even with that though my attention span my like need for constant stimulation is is to the point that i'm like always on my phone when i'm watching even when i'm watching something it's like the big screen and then the little screen where i'm also doing something yeah, yeah. and i just I, I i just imagine i when i was a kid right i would go to the bathroom and guess what i would do there when i had to take a crap I would just take a crap now it's like oh better pull out my uh, up twitter or whatever it is or yeah. what's happening on twitter or like you know mm. or like waiting in a line or waiting going on the bus like I would, I would just like look out, see what people are doing. You know, I can't do nothing now. I have to like yeah. scroll through something. I can't do nothing. Yeah, like, and it's not even the point that like, for me, uh, you know, I told you I don't listen to that many podcasts, but I, I do listen to podcasts at one time. It's when I'm going to sleep because I can't. Even then, I still have to have something as I'm going to sleep. Some stimulation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and yeah, so many other things, and I think it's you know that trickles down in a, a variety of recent things, like you know you. People don't want to spend their time honing a skill that's going to be beneficial to them in like you know the next two years or something, right? Over, it, it will maybe only really pay off reading a PV article in like a year because at that point you'll finally internalize it and 
have gotten enough benefit out of it versus reading, you know, a sideboard guide for the tournament this weekend, you know, gives you, your win percentage goes up 5% or whatever, right? That's, that's a, that's a big boost. You get it this weekend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to agree with you on the PV thing. I love his articles. I think he's one of the goats of content because he actually knows how to write for an audience, which is very unlike, I, I would argue that someone like Flores or like uh, Jvi, uh, like they don't write as well for an audience. They're just sort of like brilliant minds, but they can't get you to internalize what what's in their mind. Whereas Paulo really understands how to write so that you can digest it. Like I yeah. think that's the brilliance of Paulo. Is not he's it's not amazing. just a and, brilliant and the fact mind. that it's like, not his first language too. He's writing in his second. Yeah, language. and he's had a lot of practice. Amazing. Like he's just you can tell he really worked at it. Like he, he used yeah. to do these things where he would ask people for like, what should I write about? I always respected that, even though I didn't participate that much. Right? He would ask people like, what should I write about? And and he would actually give honest feedback. Like someone would say, you should write about X, and he's like, I don't think enough people care about X. And like I, I love that he just he used to put himself out there and. Um, that's kind of lost, but that's, that's, a, that's another rant. Um, the second question I had about content for you was, um, I also see that magic's become, I hope you agree, like magic's become more of a, a game engine now, nowadays, right? Because there's yeah. commander and there's like different ways to play. And so I think there's also a, a thing that's happened, which is people have just fully gone into a lane where it's just about budget magic, just about casual content. So which I think is also good because it's more options. And in some ways, it, it's, they're very clear about what they're going for. They're not trying to give you top-level strategy content. Yeah. They're just like having fun playing Magic in a stream, and they want you to enjoy that as well, or maybe follow the personality. So I know as someone who's a very high-level player, like, do you have any thoughts about that? Because I think that has developed greatly even the last like two, three years. There's people that are just like, they're never going to, their goal is, is never going to be like make the PT, right? Yeah. Well, my thoughts on that, people might be surprised, but I think it's great. I think it's awesome to have all this casual content, commander content. Like, I love that people can enjoy the game in a variety of different ways. You know, what I think is like sad is that it just seems like, at least from Wizards' part, not from the content creators' part, right? But from the support is just going all into that stuff. And there's like the competitive side of the game is just, being ignored you know that that even though like technically for commander and and let's say 1v1 magic you know the the card engine right is the same it's just the cards you make for either thing are just so different the games are so different right that it's it 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 does hurt the you know the 1v1 side when the cards are made but i think content of all kinds like i think if you want to go out there and make content you should go and do it and you should do it about the stuff that that makes you passionate right like whether you know it's in your case like interviewing people and understanding the people around the game or someone else loves you know wacky combos or someone else loves making budget decks or somebody else loves playing commander just go then and do it like the most fun I, I think i had making content besides you know i've had fun hanging with kyt just talking about you know the stuff that that i was passionate about and, and stuff we, we both found interesting even though we're kind of both we're on the way out of like playing magic, right? Um, or the or the content I made with Jacob Wilson, like the various troll videos and stuff, where it's just like pure fun and like just trying to do something wacky, like while still trying to win. You know that I find that fun. Like I like I like doing weird things and still winning. You know I have a 
I've always had. Well, I, I love that. So just to explain people that may not have seen it, like the, the Legacy Troll Delver uh, series you did with Jacob Wilson, which is like, you guys just basically played this insane sideboard. So the game ones look fine, but then you guys would just be like cracking up as you were like figuring out, should I side in Tybalt or not? <laughs> and I think there's a takeaway there, which is like, when you do that kind of content, I could tell that you guys really enjoy doing the content in the moment. Exactly, like it was yeah. not a performance because I felt like there, because you felt like there was an obligation to deliver to somebody. It was not like, oh man, I'm, 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 uh, I'm getting paid every week. I got to write this article. I have to write something. So let me write about uh, how to sideboard in this deck. Like that was an expression of pure joy. Like you, you, there's nobody yeah, forcing you to do that. Like I like was you doing just that, thought that it was, was fun, of payment. Frank or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Like as it turned out, CFB with the the content was for like gave me some some credit or something for my part in that, but I wasn't expecting anyways, you know. And it was it was cool, and we did and because, partly from the success and how much fun we had doing that, we did a bunch of other ones. I think okay. the, the most I think at this point is when we did a modern deck of was Merfolk, a mono blue Merfolk deck, splashing red for boil, which is destroy all islands. <laughs> We had various ways like spreading seas and stuff to turn your opponent's islands into islands. And we played yeah. like no ourselves, all like random dual lands. Well, here, here's like two of the spikiest men on the planet, like just playing <laughs> this Johnny deck and just trying to make yeah. it work. And and I think there's also an extra level of uh, entertainment, which is like you're trying to talk about this deck's game plan seriously, right? Somewhat, yeah. I mean, we're also, we're some of the stuff we're joking around we know we're joking but when we're playing the games we're we're actually we're doing our, we have the spike mindset look this is the right. deck these are the tools we have let's figure out the this way this is the build. card you're dealt because you put commandeer in your uh, legacy <laughs> exactly. delver side yeah. <laughs> we have a boil in our hand how are we going to maximize casting this boil to destroy as many of their <laughs> lives as we can or whatever no and and like so we're we're that's that's fun for us because we're still solving the puzzle we're still trying to win right and and mm -hmm. i think watching it can first of all get the enjoyment and the entertainment value of like the casual wackiness of it but also they can learn something from hearing our thought processes talking to each other about you know figuring out what line to take because it's like it's not a sure it's not going to be practical for them next weekend when they're playing their death shadow deck in the top eight or whatever mm -hmm. but they're gonna they'll they learn like the way we think the way to approach decisions and i think that's that's hugely valuable like when i when i coach magic students which it's not very often because I, I charge a lot because I only want people who really, really want to learn. Yeah. Um, and it's, I, I, I focus on trying to teach people like the way to structure their thought processes about, about turns, about plays, uh, about, you know, game plans. Because so often people, you know, because we all start playing magic as a game, right? As something to do for fun. There's still a lot of those habits built there, even when you kind of start playing in more competitively that you you just autopilot to making making plays because that's those are the plays you've always made without actually thinking about it the active thinking do you find that I, I know you say you don't get a ton of uh clientele but like the clients that you do get for coaching do you are they into that stuff or are they expecting you to give them the cyborg guy because you're trying to teach them how to fish no they're right? not expecting the the cyborg guide i mean i i'm i'm pretty i think I'm they know pretty, what you're about right so they're not coming uh, what to i'm what i'm about and you know, uh, so yeah, and I've and I think both my students and I have been pretty happy with uh, with the things. Um, I've I I I enjoy it. I'm I like I like talking about magic and especially that stuff and magic and and teaching it. 
Um, in some ways, in my like team experience in, in in tournaments, like that was often my role to like walk, go around. I would try and like help my team get better at magic because that was kind of where my skill lie. You know, where other people were better at, let's say, the deck selection side of things or or, or tuning a deck or whatever. Um, like asking the right questions, maybe. Yeah, asking the right questions. You know, like, uh, and you know, trying to being like look so okay so why did you make that play you know like you could also be like that play is terrible but instead it's more, way more interesting to find out why they made that terrible play you know the mm. thought process behind it yeah sometimes there's a reason and sometimes the reason makes sense and then like you know okay it's it's like but a lot of the time it's there's no reason to it at all yeah. it's just like i you know i didn't even think about it i just or it, make, it makes sense in their reality. So maybe maybe going back to some previous topics, it's like you're trying to give them the tools to process their reality differently and, and such. <laughs> All right. I wouldn't quite go that deep, but I might have to read. <laughs> uh, we're trying to promote your new, uh, your new book, you know, getting next level magic, the Alex Hanley or whatever. Um, you could write it. I, I am, I am uh, doing some writing, but uh, not, not magic related. I'm, I'm taking, doing my hand at writing some fiction. That's my latest project to see if uh i enjoy that oh what what's the can you can you spoil us like is it is it what sort of well, genre a, is it um Fiction. well i'm mainly interested in sci-fi fantasy stuff st stuff um mm -hmm. my current project is more on the sci-fi style side of things uh some time travel related stuff right on right well, on so we got too much but got beginning of a new career yeah so well, we'll I will see leave. we'll see it, i i at least I have is like a bucket list goal to at least write one novel in my lifetime. Like I, I love reading and I've read, a, read a ton and ton of books. Uh, I think one of my fun facts in MPL thing was I read almost 3000 books or something. When I think I'm, I've, I've now passed over the 3000 mark. Uh, what's a, what's a recent book you've read that you've really enjoyed? I liked uh, the, and um, uh, Jemison, uh, she wrote her, her trilogy. Uh, the, um, Broken Earth trilogy, first one is the uh, fifth season. Um, I, I like that a lot. Uh, I read I read all the Wheel of Time, not that long ago, and uh, I like them, but they're not. I don't know if it's fully worth it to go through all the, the whole thing. How many books are in the Wheel of Time? Never fourteen. Tried. There's fourteen of them, and they're all you know thousand pages or something. That is incredible. So I'll tell you, I've been trying to read uh, Brandon Sanderson, and okay, I'm just getting yeah, stuck like 15% into the book, and it's just the books are just which, too which, long. Which one of his are you reading? I'm I'm trying to read his first novel. Was it? It's called Elantris, I think. Elantris, yeah. Okay. Um, some people have told me it's not his best work, but I wanted something from him that I could read as one novel and not be like one in three because I, I think I was trying to read yeah. Mistborn or something else and I really enjoy the first book but I'm still stuck in the first book because it's just taking so freaking long <laughs> I felt like I've already gone through like you know three Lord of the Ring trilogies and in 20 percent of the book and the book still has 80 percent to go so it's just <laughs> yeah Miss I think I like Mistborn more than Elantris but I, I think you could just read Mistborn and not read the, the second or third one mm -hmm. I'm sure that it was I don't know if it was made originally to be a trilogy or not but you know i might have gotten it wrong i don't know if it's misborn but it's it's one of the ones that's like the first of a trilogy from sanderson yeah it is a trilogy so the misborn stormlight, is stormlight i think stormlight oh archives? the stormlight archive 
Yeah, I think yeah, I'm on the that, first that one. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's that one's really long. Yeah, Miss Born. Massive. Yeah, that one's massive. I've read all of those as well. I've read. It's I've good, read- but I also have this bad, not bad habit, but I just have a habit of like just reading multiple books at once. So I'll try to go back. I to have that book. habit too. Don't worry. And sometimes <laughs> it's like a video game. Like you forget the controls. Like who are these characters? Like because it's been a month since I read this book, so it's like I don't. I don't remember who they are. So I have to, I, I feel like I have to read that again from the beginning. And uh, do you have any tips to overcome that? Cause like, I think this is my attention span problem. Like I can't get through, like I can barely get through two hours of the Batman movie, let alone a Sanderson. Yeah. I don't know. It's, 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 it's tough. I think, you know, maybe getting on a regular reading schedule and just trying to work on one book until you're done. Or if you're going to pause it, write yourself a brief, brief synopsis of where you're at. Something like that. Uh, I like that. At least I, yeah, I don't struggle as much being like partway through a bunch of fiction books. For me, like I, I have five nonfiction books that I'm all like, you know, somewhere in the 30 to 50% range through a bunch of, and for that, because for that, it's, it's a lot slower for me. For fiction, I almost always read like, it's just pure enjoyment, right? I just read it. I get it kind of into the story. I basically leave this world behind. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at, at, at going into the world of my own mind. Nice. Uh, I kind of, you know, every couple of pages read something and then I, you know, often have to internalize it or think about it way more, you know, because how am I going to put in practice, let's say, uh, you know, reading a book on stoicism, for example, or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's various other things of like, you know, there's all the Malcolm Gladwell stuff or, uh, or, or, various things of you know books on writing i have i've i'm halfway through like three different ones you know stephen king's one there's oh stephen king's one is the best yeah well the the first part where he's talking about his own life and stuff that part i breeze through super easy oh really that's fascinating too but a different structure different folks yeah and then but then the part where he's talking about writing oh i see i see so you enjoy his biography part and now it's like yeah, yeah. The he's part like about, well, let me I now tell you how to write too yeah i enjoy the part about writing too but every time i try and practice part of basically part of what every time i read like something is like you should do this mm-hmm. i'm gonna go and put it into practice kind of like i recommend for people to do if they're like reading pv articles to go and try and put into practice the thing you're reading you know because otherwise it's just going to remain knowledge and not actually go into practical sense. Oh, totally. Totally. I think I'm the opposite of you. I would just breeze through nonfiction books and I do take notes, <laughs> but for fiction books, like, I don't take notes and it takes me forever to get through a Branderson, a Brandon Sanderson novel. And I, I think there's something yeah. wrong with me. I just have to fix my I don't wiring. think so, but again, you know, different strokes, different folks, you know, Mike Siggers, you mentioned, I think he, he, he said that he's read seven books in his lifetime or something, you know, uh, so <laughs> it's 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 yeah. different people you know like he, he's not a he's not a stupid guy jacob wilson also very bright i don't think he's much of a reader mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it different people have different things that they like so for me it's yeah especially science fiction fantasy novels like for me like hot knife through butter you know the, the harry potter books back in the day you know was a little bit of a gatekeeper keep uh ah, well, not gatekeep but uh gateway gateway, gateway. drug yeah yeah reading but i was already reading before that Uh, i was always you know i guess from age six onwards i would often have my nose in a book yeah are you have you ever gone into um i'm just looking at my bookshelf now um murakami's novels i've read i read some of his stuff yeah i I like okay like i I actually 
I think I have one Murray County book that I have just barely started or something, but haven't like you know three pages in, but then didn't get into, and I have to find where it is because I probably packed for some trip or another, and then I, I've on magic trips I've been bad at reading partly because I'm often sharing a room with someone else and I don't like keeping the lights are not set up often for reading and not keeping someone else awake. Yeah. But also I'm focused on doing magic stuff. So for that, I, all, all those scripts, I would often not, not be good at reading. Uh, I was, the, I, I was the weird guy uh, two weekends ago. Cause I went to an RCQ or whatever the heck it's called now. Um, yeah. Uh, I was just like reading an actual physical book between rounds because I couldn't be bothered to actually watch other people play magic. I'm just like, I'm here to try to do well and I don't give a shit about anything else. And I'm just, I was just reading a book on economics between rounds of magic and it felt tournament sucked. Like, I, I think I went 03 drop. I, I actually didn't drop after 02 because I was like, oh, I want to play this out. And then, then I realized I wasn't winning any matches and the spike part of my brain just activated. It's like, get the fuck out of here. And James and uh, I just, I just got out of there. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's just like RCQs are just tempting because there's some, they're like, I'm in Shanghai, like every weekend there's some RCQ. So it's just, it's like you could get yeah. to them fairly easily. So whatever, I'll try. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, for me, you know, they, they talk, there's the magic and then there's the gathering. And at this point, I'm way more into the gathering than into the magic. Whereas the, earlier at the beginning of my, when I started playing, it was all the magic. Now it's yeah. all the gathering. And then, you know, the big middle, it was like, they kind of met in the middle. Yeah. I, everybody kind of goes on that trajectory in some ways. Oh, I feel that so bad. Like I felt really crappy playing at RCQ because I didn't really know anybody who was going. Yeah. Uh, I think the next one I'm going, I actually have a friend who will be going together and that will be a lot more fun. And honestly, I much enjoy, rather enjoy doing this kind of podcast and actually playing magic at this point in my life. So um, we all have to find our ways, right? Um, uh, yeah. Okay, Alex, I'll leave you with one last question. I'm sorry this interview has gone super long, but you've been like super gracious with, you know, answering everything. Um, <laughs> the last question I have for you is, if you were running Wizards, what change would you make in the short term for Magic and in the long term for Magic? And you can caveat your answer however you want, or just just give me your answer. Yeah, so, fine. so it's interesting. I mean, so that, a lot of that would come to basically my view on on companies and corporations because the way you know things are set up right now, it's like the only person that corporations are really they're they're withholding to their stock holders right and that's it it's like if you make the stock price go up if you make the company more profit then you're successful that's the only thing that matters yeah that's not my personal view like even as an investor i like to invest in companies that i think do more than that and i think that it would be better for the world if we had more the companies were more viewed not only their shareholders but also their employees and their customers and their community mm -hmm. as like a more uh, well-rounded consideration as opposed yeah, to just shareholders. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So in terms of, let's say, you know, if you're viewing things from a shareholder perspective, right? Like I think the short-term stuff that Wizards is doing is really good. I think they're currently raking in the money. Uh, but, you know, I do, you do have to wonder like, are they, you know, skinning the sheep rather than shearing it, right? Um, at some point, people might decide that this is too expensive. They might not get, the influx of new players because people look at this as way too expensive a hobby or with, you know, that's way too like ingrown and it's not that accessible. Right. Uh, 
So I can, can, can see those potential dangers. Like the way I would try and approach things, I would, you know, again, I, I like there's the classic thing of, of people working at Wizards, right, or not being paid uh, as much as they would be elsewhere because they're, they, they come in because they love the game. Now, I think they've improved that in recent years. I think they've made salaries a bit more competitive, but I would still like them to maybe even, you know, push it up a bit more, you know, treat their employees as not just like, not have people who are actually now i'm re- now i am remembering one of the tweets you fired off this year uh, which is really funny but I'll, I'll i'll avoid uh repeating it here please go on with your answer <laughs> all right uh and then you know and i think that the the community around it matters too like there are there are some stuff that you know borders on predatory obviously people are all opting in but magic is addictive and some people you know can't stop themselves and things prices ratcheting up um so yeah from i don't know from my perspective what i would do in the short term i i i do somewhat think that having a a a pro level thing for for magic is ultimately beneficial in that over time you can at least get some of the respect that something like chess does right that parents are going to encourage their kids to go and do it teachers will like you know encourage it as well because it's seen as an intellectual pursuit it's you know just like you know or maybe even like a sport it's it's something that you know is a worthwhile thing to be spending your time on and i think if if you can get that into the the popular zeitgeist right then i think you you manage to accumulate more more players from a different angle um and i don't think it costs you that much money but I, you know, I'm not an expert in all that stuff. I don't know all the interior finances uh, and other things. I mean, I think the commander stuff is is definitely good. But clearly, clearly, people love having all these promos and uh, new commander sets and things. They do seem to be printing a lot of sets that might cause some fatigue, but I don't have the numbers on that. And I assume I'm going to assume that they're they're doing reasonable work with that. So. Uh, I actually think was I I could be wrong, but I remember one of your takes was they sucked the soul out of Commander by just corporatizing it and just just making Commander yeah. products. Is the moment it's sort of like the the perception thing. Like once you touch it, it no longer becomes the thing, or once you focus in on it, it no longer becomes exactly. The yeah, that I mean, I I, I tweeted yeah you know, some something along that lines that basically that like even I found Commander interesting. You know, it's not really my cup of tea. Though when I started playing Magic, it was basically all all multiplayer that I would play. Actually, with mm. at, at my college, it was just in the, we'd be in the lounge and we'd play yeah, free for all. But it wasn't Commander free for all. You know, yeah. it not, wasn't Commander. Right? It was everybody just had the deck, and it was whatever. I remember one guy brought his deck, and it had like seven copies of Soul Ring in it. There's no <laughs> level of like, and and of course Top Soul Ring for nowadays. Soul Ring. My 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 mind's like seven copies of Soul Rings. What the hell? You know, like what what broken thing is he doing? And it was like catching like casting like crash of worms or something, you know, and then flashing it back to yeah, just six sixes, you know, something super casual. Fortunately, I never ran into the person with like the forty lightning bolts. Uh, there's always a guy <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, well, there was there wasn't in our group, but also in a multiplayer group, that guy is just you kill one person, right? But then just and then they all just go, we we'd not, all right? just go. Crush this is not yeah. fun. Yeah. You have, had to have some kind of recurring thing, some board presence, right? Uh, or card advantage, or there's, 
yeah, yeah a lot of fun times in the early days in, in like magic club uh yeah but, but i guess we're just talking about how like, but yes but anyways, there's the grassrootsness yeah. of commander is basically lost because it's become this thing that's fed through a corporate a corporate machine and they're specifically designing for commander and as opposed to in the past where it's like oh cool this card from mirage can now be played in commander and i can fish it out of the bin right yeah all the commander used to be like the cool rejects of of you know all the previous rejects of, of competitive magic or whatever now you know like now amazing rhystic study now they're the rock stars and you know whatever. it's it's Take, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> All, all, all these things, you know, seven mana sorceries are now supreme. Yes. But in random creature, you know, primeval titan is so good that it has to be banned, right? Let alone other other things. It was, it was, it was kind of neat. And then now it's, yeah, it feels like it's just designed by wizards, right? They're just making these sets, and it's more and more becoming about the commander cards specifically, rather than just you know cards designed for commander that rather than cards that happen to be like cool timmy cards or, or cool johnny cards right yeah like uh true name nemesis <laughs> yeah like that's like why is that a commander card that all the card really i i don't know I, I mean i don't again i don't play that much commander but it just doesn't seem like a good commander card first of all you have to choose an opponent so everybody else can kill your thing with whatever you know it mm -hmm. dies mass removal mm -hmm. uh, and it's just a three one to attack with like it's boring right, right. but but if you play legacy and it was like I, it ruined my day in many a legacy game or whatever vintage cube game. It's just oh, true name nemesis. Yeah. Oh, GTA. Yeah. Whipped it. Okay. Mm -hmm. This GTA. sucks. You know? yeah. I don't get to do anything. Mm -hmm. I'm just dead. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I can't imagine them playing in a commander game or like Flusterstorms was a, was a commander card. Like, yeah. I, and then uh, there was cards that were just bad for every format. Commander and uh, Eternal. Like like Hulk well, those, those cards Nobody at least fun those with card strong card in, in eternal right but <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but they're, they're, they, i mean they made some cool things like if they're the fact that there were a bunch of color combinations and there weren't many legends available for was was somewhat interesting that you had to make mm. you yeah. know but now you have different decisions to make you have like too many choices of what yeah what colors you want to do now you have a gazillion commander so it's you you have all the choice in the world but they're just, it feels like, yeah, now now they're just like pointing you really in a direction because this commander removes counters to make Sapperling tokens or whatever, and you can sack Sapperling counter tokens yeah. to make counters. Kind of builds the deck. It's yeah. going yeah. to be a token-based deck, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This other one, like, sacrifices artifacts to find, you know, enchantments or something. Well, what do you think is going to be in this deck? Like, yeah, it's like all pre-constructed for you and takes away the creativity of it. Like, yeah. Love magic that you know I could I could do both my analytical side of like min maxing individual plays right. I don't right. do but deck building there's so much creativity there's so many there's all these cards and it's just like you have all this puzzle space and just make what you want and now it just feels like in commander in other formats like modern too that they've just taken this organic thing that just kind of grew up and was beautiful and they're like oh this rose will look even better with all these cool like flashy things yeah. on. And we'll we'll sell them to people for a hundred bucks a pop. Um, were you were you at PT Philly? It, you were right because that in two thousand and eleven, yeah. I think it yeah. was. That was the first modern uh, event, and I was. Oh yeah, you were interviewed by uh, by Dom Harvey and Ari Lax for this retrospective article uh, that they did, I think, last year. And I actually yeah. read that, and I was like, 
wow they totally sucked all the all the soul out of modern i guess because now it's just modern <laughs> uh horizons block constructed yeah and, i've heard uh, so many people say that and I, I i've looked at the decks and so much like if if you you know i all all my friends and i and a lot of us didn't play by the way, I play modern, but I only started playing modern after MH2, so I have no idea what it was like before. So it's fascinating for me to read these things about how it was actually organic 10 years ago, and you could actually run like preordain and splinter twin, which is insane to me. Why nobody why not everyone just did why didn't everyone just do that? But anyways, yeah. Well, look, don't get me wrong. I I've never really been a fan of modern as a format. I, I never really liked it in that, for whatever reason. I think partly just because it's from the era of magic where the threats were all super strong and the answers were not necessarily that strong. Mm -hmm. um, whereas like legacy, you have access to both the great threats and the great answers and it kind of creates a bit more of a balance or it's mm -hmm. felt still. I haven't played again legacy for a while. And, and yeah, my friends and I didn't play any modern till since, since pre pandemic. And now suddenly it's like, yeah, none of your cards or your decks are any good. You can't upgrade them or whatever. It's just right garbage just throw them out buy a bunch of modern horizons cards yes <laughs> and there's four color garbage pile or whatever now or you can play you know uh, i don't know blue red mythic rares or like those that's those are your choices you know that so uh, there, there used to be like combo decks and aggro decks and mid-range decks and other types of control decks and ramp decks and all those things and it was just from cards they printed that weren't designed to be played in modern and yeah. sure you know there were there were problems with the format but you know a lot of people loved it and the the original idea was that people could take their old standard decks and like upgrade them and keep playing with them right right so, because extended wasn't quite meeting that right um yeah. or it was becoming well, cobblade v2 or whatever um yeah and, and don't get me wrong like i have this i i'm fully aware that as magic players we have this like grass is greener on the other side syndrome all the time like we always look at things with extreme nostalgia but it was actually very problematic too like because for a very long time, modern, I would argue, was very much like two ships passing the night and you just did your thing, they did their thing. Or, oh, I have Stony Silence, so you're you're dead. Or I don't have Stony yeah. Silence, so I'm dead. So it's like, it's it's kind of goes to There's what you're saying. There's still a bit of that now, though, numbers. isn't there? Like, if someone's Oh, most definitely. Living in it's, or whatever. it's just become it's... very, like, agenda-driven, where it's just like, you either have an answer for Regavan. Like, it's, it's just... It's just sorry. There's just new axes <laughs> of uh, pillars that to build around. But yeah. it's fundamentally still just like handed to you. Like, here are the pillars of the format. Can you deal with it? No, you're dead. Can you deal with it? Okay, then you have a chance. It's in some ways, I don't know, maybe maybe because you're you're so much better at understanding that than I am. Like, was there a golden age of constructed magic where that would be like in your top all time where it didn't feel like that? Because you just said you don't like modern for these reasons so therefore there must be some formats or certain periods of magic where it really felt good in different ways yeah there were i mean i've i've enjoyed different different formats and but i think for me at least when i around when i started playing felt like for in terms of like deck choice and deck creation was like Rav, original ravnica kamigawa and then following that ravnica time spiral but i think Gravnica Kamigawa was was really cool and interesting. There was a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of different decks all the time. And I wonder, you know, how much of that is that the like age of internet tuning and playing all these games online, right? Mm -hmm. Hadn't it gotten everything like fine-tuned to the level it is now. 
And a lot of these decks were just not good enough, but we just didn't really know. Yeah. Uh, but it felt like, you, you know, all the decks were like kind of, all had like weaknesses and strengths, you know, and, and you could make, come up with a brew and like your, your, your unknown deck could come and can actually compete. And that was, that was kind of neat. And it, it drove certainly a love of magic and a love of deck building me and kind of, you know, I've gone onwards and, and worked on making a bunch of different decks and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, there, there's been formats where there has been broken decks, right? Uh, sometimes that, that they've done sort of on purpose, sometimes not depending on, I mean, something like Hogak, right? Like they designed different horizons. Yeah. So the, Made a, they made a, this card specifically with modern in mind. That that to me is just like you know they clearly screwed up, right? Because, it's very egregious because it's kind of like that meme. You had one job, like you have to design yes. card for modern, and you that's all you had to do. Yeah. Whereas I'm more forgiving of like Eldrazi, where like look, they they were not designing this for modern. They were designing this these as standard cards, and just happened like they they probably just didn't test how good they were with with El, Ivuga and Eldrazi Temple. In, in you know because they weren't testing modern at the time and to be honest most of the competitors of the first pro tour did also didn't test them with with that stuff that's right it was a breakout deck yeah yeah it, the deck the deck was broken but that's like that's like a more of a fun broken because it's like the hogak is like look this this card can only be used in this way and we specifically designed it to be used in this way so you and it's obviously a very powerful card we'll put a deck together okay this deck's broken i don't know what you know uh but like you know the eldrazi thing you know look they didn't have the resources they weren't testing this for that it just happens that this works with these older cards and like a lot of people for the tournament didn't test it or figure out the the special sauce or whatever um there's even more fun things where it's just really random stuff like the original amulet amulet titan deck like that's super cool i think the fact that somebody is just like oh yeah like wrap out a primeval titan with these bounce lands and amulet of vigor and so you can and summer bloom because you can play a bunch of lands and like like that's that's just that's like an for me i take that as like artwork you know it's yeah, uh, creativity right yeah unintended it's, it's just a beautiful masterpiece that somebody like i'm sure a whole bunch of people's hands you know over over the course of the evolution of that but none of these cards were ever intended to work with each other right it's just mm-hmm. it happens that like they're all printed from these different eras and they just all go together in this one thing, organic, because it wasn't, it wasn't just on a plate. Whereas now it's like, oh, guess what? There's like the new stuff is like there's Urza's Saga card and, and there's Dryad, um, Dryad plus Falcon or whatever. You know, that's, those are the new things that the Amulet deck does because right. this deck already exists. So we're going to design these cards for it. Yeah. Um, the intentions matter. There's a whole thing about people can feel the artifice of something that's being engineered for like just drop shipped into a format, right? Which is like very obvious with some of the the newer designs. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess in the end, we're just old men yelling at clouds, but yeah, I love it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with it. I mean, yeah, but things again with, with, with modern stuff, right? The original idea was your standard cards just aren't going to be obsolete anymore. You can still keep using them. Your, your old standard deck that you love or whatever, you can play it now in modern or whatever right but now it's your modern cards from six money. months ago that doesn't make where there's money because you're not buying new cards if you're using your old cards but right the whole point was to not have to spend more money for yourself right you could use the same cards. so that that is an interesting observation actually alex because it supposes that any non-standard format is ultimately going to 
go to hell because the intentionality behind making the format is never going to reconcile with the corporate agenda, right? Yeah. And I think I'm I pretty much agree with that. That's why they kind of end up having to ban things. And you look at legacy, like I, it, it, I, from, from what I hear, it has some problems now. And, and the fact that there's all these cards in the reserve list uh, adds to difficulties of people playing in paper, right? Yeah. The, the dual ends. You know, I've been around that for long enough to, to, for that to be like the, the same as Apple stock or Bitcoin or whatever. It's just like <laughs> it all in, right? Yeah. I'm not quite, I, I haven't quite been around long enough to be able to buy black lotuses for five bucks or whatever, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. dual ends for, for $50 or a hundred or something, you know, I could, I could have done that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you had to have taken that Bitcoin payment, uh, unfortunately, but uh, we I, missed I, the yeah, boat on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I should have. I, I I haven't calculated if I ever took every payment that I was allowed to on their on their service via Bitcoin. Right, right. More. Hey, man, Alex, it was great talking to you. I'm so sorry to keep you up so late. I know it's it's getting pretty late over there in Canada. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not thank quite you, so, thank you so <laughs> much for taking the time to um, uh, to talk to me. And do you have any like shout outs or plugs or like where can people find you on social? Well, first I'll say thanks for having me, James. And uh, yeah, I'll say for plugs, you can find me at, at I-N-S-A-Y-N-E, Hain, H-A-Y-N-E. So insane Hain, but remember there's a there's an extra Y in there uh, at on Twitter. Uh, that's so you can, my DMs are open if you have something you want, you want to talk to me about, uh, but you can always tweet at me. I'll, that's, that's the best way. Um, I'll give a shout out, of course, to... Uh, my boys, KYT for you know the Canadian Canadian content master who kind of brought uh, brought the country together. Uh, Pascal Mart, kind of the, the first Magic player I encountered, who uh, who really you know I, I'm like this guy's good, you know. Uh, who I, I I locally played with, and uh, shout out to kind of the next level and one a teammate who surprised me with how good he was, Mike Segrist, who also went great things. And he's actually playing in Worlds this year. I might, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm very likely to show up for whatever the Magic 30 celebration in Vegas, at least for the, just the last day. I'm not going to play any events, I think. But maybe, maybe I'll do some team drafts or something. But I just want to go cheer on my buddy, and I'll be in, uh, I'll be in, in the neighborhood or whatever, uh, a little bit around then. So uh, should be cool. But I also plan to play. Uh, I'm probably going to play both the uh, Canadian, I don't know what they're called, re regional events, the one in Toronto and the one in Calgary later this year. I uh, booked my flight to Calgary for $140 round trip, which is pretty insane. So, <laughs> Seems a lot more uh, reasonable than going to Vegas for Magic 30, I'll, I'll have to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah, that that's, again, it's more just like to see friends. My, my good friend, Tom Martell as well, shout out to him, uh, who yes. lives Vegas and uh, uh, and and Siggy's playing Worlds, you know. I, hopefully, he'll be the world champion. So that, that would be cool. Nice. I'm also for the last when they had the CFB tournament that wasn't a Grand Prix, it was basically a Grand Prix like modern limited ones like last year. I went and I also didn't play. I just just hung out and uh, it's 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 fun to see and to walk around. I, I played a local event recently and. Uh, I got the feeling of you know what it was like and both the good and the bad and some some bad parts of it are all the more nostalgic. You know? 
<laughs> what, what was bad about it? Well, just you're in a, a relatively small space, you know, people with not necessarily the best hygiene. Oh, yes. uh, you, you, you get mad screwed or whatever. Like, <laughs> the salt. <laughs> nice. My, my own personal problem having just learned magic online the last three years, like during COVID is I can't just, I just don't like the analog stuff anymore. Like shuffling decks feels, it takes a lot of time now. And waiting oh, yeah. between rounds takes a lot of time. And it's just, I'm just an impatient motherfucker now. I just can't, I can't watch a movie <laughs> over two hours and I can't play ma physical magic tournaments without having to do something else for a while. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I was I was there for like three rounds. It was a team tournament, so that that was that was the reason I was playing. I might one of my friends yanked me in, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and team tournaments are always are, are my favorite. I just because it you know there's you always get the gathering. You always have have two friends with you at least. Right? That's fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, but I, we only played three rounds when we were one two and dropped and, and and bounced. So that was that was about three hours about my attention span right now. There's the, that's good. Good mark. Doing yeah. like ten rounds or something. <laughs> it is about. It is ultimately about the gathering. Um, definitely, is about the gathering. I gotta. I have to reflect on this conversation and figure out my own relationship with magic as well. But enough about me, Alex. It's been great <laughs> talking to you, and I wish you all the best. Thanks, and yeah, hopefully, maybe I'll see you sometime in in Canada. Maybe you'll, if you come Vancouver event possibly we'll see yeah yeah i'm a west coast guy but i'll yeah I hope, I hope i can make the trip later this year that's my that's my fingers crossed plan for All right now. yeah well it was great chatting with you thanks for having me